in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. These brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Destin Melbarnes, Nathan Lutz, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights to the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to the show where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Russell Guest, and joining me today is my good friend and co-host, Chad Robinson from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and Brian Fry from Spokane, Washington. How are you guys doing? Doing well, Russ. Thank you. Yep, great tonight. And I'm excited. This is a special. It's special. I'll tell you why, because we got two great guests for the first time here. Brother of Luke Treshkovich, who was on the 007 A View to a Kill episode. We have Jake Treshkovich here. Jake, how you doing from San Francisco? I'm doing good. Thank you so much for having me. That's right. And we're going to be talking some James Bond, so we wouldn't be doing this right if we didn't have somebody representing us from the UK here. So we also have Toby Poole. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes. Now, before we get going, just not a lot of description behind it, but just tell us who are your favorite Bonds from top to bottom. Toby, why don't you kick us off with this one first? My favorite is always going to have to be uh, Mr. Roger Moore. I feel like there's a Bond movie of his for every occasion and for every mood that you could possibly have. Then it's Daniel Craig. He's just incredibly sexy. So you can just sort of close your eyes and, you know, listen to him for hours. Then it's got to be Sean because he made the role. Then Mr. Dalton because I don't believe anyone's a killer more than him. Then Brosnan. And then lays. All right. Well, that'll show up through. Like, this is just a little precursor to give us some feelings as we do our countdown of all the Bond movies here. Jake, what about you? How would you rank your Bonds? You know what? I almost would mirror what Toby would say, honestly. I kind of like that. Although, let's see. Okay. So, Roger Moore, just because that was like my favorite as a kid. And just, yeah, I like that whole he was in, like, there's a movie for everyone. Um, Daniel Craig, though, he's pushing it upwards because i think the like quality of movie and like the, the the feasibility of him actually doing all that stuff i like that i actually would put timothy dalton above sean connery i know that's gonna be big faux pas then sean connery lays in the i don't like pierce brosnan as much i don't think he's believable okay yeah so you, you there are some similarities there chad can you be different for us <laughs> not at the top my number one is roger moore he he's most certainly my favorite uh, i go with sir sean number two pierce brosnan number three i think lazenby's gonna be my fourth dalton and then craig okay so so good difference for the middle on that one and brian what about you what's your background here what are your favorite bonds here i'm gonna completely break the mold on this um it, it's it's been my understanding from time to time when talking to people that your first bond was always your favorite bond. So 
Um, although he was gifted with hands down the worst scripts in Bond history, uh, I went with Pierce Brosnan because Goldeneye is truly, uh, you know, it was my first introduction to Bond and it's still the quintessential for me. I'm going with Daniel Craig as my number two just because the continuity of the films put together is something that I always wanted for Bond. I felt like they... They hit a vein of gold here, and I, I, him being that character really did something for it. I'll go with Sean Connery as number three. I'm going to go with George Lazenby as actually my number four. I did not hate On Her Majesty's Secret Service. They tried to do something new. It wasn't popular. That's fine. After that, I will go with Roger Moore. And then lastly, I, I just... Ugh. I have a rough time with Timothy Dalton. Okay, okay. And uh, to, to finish this off, I'm going to be the only one who has Sean Connery as my number one Bond. And uh, perhaps just making the role and doing it more maybe uh, gets you there. And so Roger Moore is my number two. Quantity does help get familiarity. Brosnan is my number three. I, he was my first James Bond as well, like Brian said, and I view him as a bridge between those two characters or the two portrayals. Timothy Dalton's my number four. Uh, I think he did the intense version of James Bond really well. And I'm like Brian, I have Lazenby at five because I I don't hate that movie. And like, there's no bad Bonds. And Daniel Craig's just at the bottom for me. But again, there's no bad Bond. I love them all. And then just for fun, what's the last movie you saw? Toby. Uh, tomorrow never dies today perfect that is very in keeping with what we're looking for here and uh that sounds like another name of a movie tomorrow never dies today so (laughs) (laughs) it's the sequel it's the sequel that it never got what about you jake i watched the witch i don't know why (laughs) it's really good oh i know i love that movie hard disagree i tell you what after watching which what you really have to do for your psyche is turn around immediately and watch the lighthouse yeah that one i'll recommend the witch i will never recommend it's incredibly boring with a low payoff the last one i watched was for your eyes only i got a sneak peek of the rankings because i actually I did the averages, and I kind of found this was the one where I was most out of balance from everyone else. So I had to go back and say, is my head screwed on right? Am I thinking of the right movie? (laughs) So I'm sure I'll defend myself later on that one. Yeah, and I'm similar where, you know, I keep all these Bond movies close to my heart and, and nearby, but probably the one that I watched the least is Quantum of Solace, so I gave it another go round myself so that's the last movie that i watched so when we come back from this ad break we're going to be ranking from worst to best all of the james bond movies so we'll be back after these messages welcome to the flashback flicks retro movie podcast i'm ricky i'm grayson and every week we review a movie from the past and reflect on things we miss things we loved and things we want to see again Yeah, because we believe any movie worth watching is worth watching again. So if you like films, friendship, and a lot of callbacks, I mean, just so many callbacks, then subscribe on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever RSS feeds go for like-minded, movie-loving individuals like you. What happens when two modern film fans go back and rewatch all the old classic films from yesteryear to see if they hold up? You get the Classic Film Jerks podcast. 
Find the Classic Film Jerks podcast on all the major platforms. All right, we're back, and this is not a spoilery episode, so there might be little light spoilers, but in conversation, we're not going to like spoil the whole movie, so your usual spoiler warning that comes after the ad break is not really here today, so we're just going to have fun. We're going to be counting down the top Bond movies from worst to best, and we're going to be doing all 25 movies, so we're going to be including uh, Never Say Never, so that's not technically canon. We know that. But we're not going to be including the David Niven Casino Royale just because it doesn't feel like a Bond movie, whereas Never Say Never Again has Sean Connery, and it feels like a Bond movie. So we're going to be honoring it in our countdown. So starting at the bottom, at number 25, we have Die Another Day. But Don is going to open this theme song up for us. This movie did not get a lot of support from us here, so... Right off the bat, the highest ranking we had was Chad at 22 and Toby at 22. Chad, why don't you tell us first what you love about it, because you're the highest supporter of it. I just hated three other movies more than this one. <laughs> I, I, I saw the ranking and was like, oh, man. No, there I have no praise for this movie. <laughs> I have one praiseful thing to say about this movie. Go for it, please. The part where Halle Berry gets out of the ocean and this isn't the positive part and she walks up she walks up to the bar I have tried to mimic how Pierce Brosnan says mojito for so long like every time every time I say the word mojito I go for gold Pierce Brosnan die die another day mojito he, he's like mojito I, I don't know it's so so toby you're the other big supporter of this movie if you will you're the other high ranker on this one do you love the invisible card do you love john cleese coming in to take q's place what do you love about die another day well what i love about it is that it was the first bond movie i ever watched oh, um special if, i was i was six years old i think when i watched it and without it i wouldn't i wouldn't have this great love for it so that that's all i that's all there's nothing actually about the movie itself that's any good um, <laughs> uh, you mean but, you don't but, enjoy those overly uh, simplified dialogue lines those single <laughs> i call them single entendres in this movie they're not clever yeah exactly right. like, so are you I'm watching the birds <laughs> that's a uh, mouthful. my favorite scene is with madonna personally it's just you can't talk <laughs> that in bond all right, uh, Jake, what about you? Die Another Day. Give us your take on it. You you did not have this one particularly high. You had this one at 25. Oh, no, it was like dead last, dead yes. last. I have to say the reason why it's dead last it involves Halle Berry, do you know, like, they have terrible CGI in it. What I recall is her doing that, like, back dive off of, you know what I'm talking about? Like, at the oh, beginning, yeah. it is in awful. Cuba. It is, like, abysmal to watch it again. And I know it's, like, a long time ago. I would have to say that the redeeming qualities of it, I kind of like the Ice Lake chase thing, plus the bad guy with, like, the diamond face. Diamond face is thing. cool. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, that's cool. I think that that was, like, the winning thing. But that plane took forever to crash. It's just, like, come on. Like, you know, whatever. Like, just... I don't know if James Cameron can make the Titanic take three hours to crash. I don't see why that crashes on reasonable. <laughs> yeah, that's true. All right, so, uh, Fry, you were in the middle here, which isn't much of a middle. Like I said, you're 23, so this is not real high ranking for you either. Die another day. What's your take, man? There are redeeming 
qualities to this movie. There are some actors that I really like in it. It's just, it's the epitome of Pierce Brosnan being misused in the role because they squandered his best years of being Bond with crappy 90s and early 2000s scripts. Like what was popular then is now looked back on as an eyesore. And if I think if he had gotten some different looks, I think he would be higher in a lot of people's rankings for Bond. Um, as far as why I have it at 23, uh, it's because I had two other... Actually, I'm sorry. I only had one other movie ranked behind this one. And then Chad told me I had to rank Never Say Never Again. And I have it on my list now as Never Say Never Except to this movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we'll get to that one. I I think I have more positive feelings for this one because I, I have this one at 23 and I still really like it. And I actually feel like it's aging better. I feel like if had we all been a little bit older, for those of us here on the podcast, I feel like this could be our Moonraker. I have a feeling Moonraker jumped the shark <laughs> and was just so fantastic and over the top and campy. And I think as we go farther and farther away from Moonraker, like it, it seems like I, I enjoy it more and I enjoy this campy side of James Bond. And somehow... The, the CGI that uh, that just doesn't work and some of the bad qualities that are there, somehow I'm affectionately growing to like it more over time. So it's possible this might have been my bottom ranked movie, but it's it's creeping up for me. It's never boring. I'll give it that. That's what, probably why it's 22 for me as well. Is I'm never bored by it. I may be actively annoyed and confused. So, <laughs> so I'm at least awake. So there's going to be more stratification in this next one. So Diamonds Are Forever is going to be next at number 24. And this one actually had some high marks. I had this one at the highest. So I'm going to go first and just say I, again, enjoy the campy side of James Bond. And this is Sean Connery going campy to the maximum. Does this feel like a Roger Moore movie, but it's done by Sean Connery? Yeah. Yeah, it does. I mean... You've got wheels turning. You've got cars turning on two wheels. You've got the, one of the more absurd henchmen uh, with Went and Kid. Probably doesn't play as well today because it's a little bit homophobic, but they're they're very funny, I think. And I just love Walter White. I mean, Jimmy Dean playing this eccentric billionaire is. Uh, I don't know. It, it, this one hits a lot of notes for me, and it's really good to see Sean back in there again. So, uh, I I love Diamonds Are Forever clearly more than everybody else here. Two of you had it ranked at 24th. Toby, why don't you tell us what might not be as excited about uh, Diamonds Are Forever for you? I, I feel like it's a film of missed potential. Obviously, we're not doing spoilers, but there are certain threads from uh, on the Majesty's Secret Service that they don't pick up on that I feel would have made a far better movie. And I'm always imagining that one in my head when I watch it and wishing that we could have got that. Sean's clearly having more fun with it than he was You Only Live Twice, um, presumably because of his massive paycheck. But it doesn't ever seem to really swing into life, to be honest. And it doesn't really seem to catch light in the way that a lot of the others do. So, yeah, it just doesn't really mesh together for me. Yeah. Okay. Now, Brian, what about James Bond? If I recall on our uh, View to a Kill episode, you said you don't like James Bond in America so much. This is this has got a lot of Las Vegas in here. Is that what's not doing it for you? I, I don't. Uh, one of the things that I really like about Bond movies is uh, international scenes. So I, I'm just not much on 
the movie sequences where he's here, I don't know if it just loses something because I'm familiar with the area or not, but my issue with Diamonds Are Forever is it is the only proof that Sean Connery went through some sort of age transformation between Bond and The Rock. Yeah. Like he, like (laughs) there's, there's James Bond, Sean Connery, and then there's The Rock, Sean Connery. And, and you never see that transition actually happen except in Diamonds Are Forever. He's overweight. He's bloated. He has a toupee. He looks tired. Like even his judo chops (laughs) look lazy. Like, he is phoning in it. <laughs> I, I was watching this movie again recently, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Like this is the old Yeller movie for Sean Connery's oh. Bond. Like, <laughs> like it's it, he's done. He's done. Like it actually damaged him as Bond for me. Wow. Yeah. 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 Chad, what about you? Why don't you take this one next? I'm stunned it only wound up at 18. That speaks to below the 18 mark of just frustration with movies. This is one that I've seen probably close to the most. It just it's the one that's always on TV and you know Jill St. John, she was the first American Bond and I can't stand her. And they did her to be the typical loud annoying American, which is frustrating in and of itself, but I agree with Brian. It's it's just a slog you it does feel like a Roger Moore film. I love Roger Moore, so I don't want him in this. Um, and Jake, you're more in the middle here. Or, well, you're really pretty close to Fry and Toby on this one. You have it at 23. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually, yeah, to, to, like I, the, the slog is a good way to like put it. I just always felt that I was like lumbering through the movie. Although the one thing as a kid that always stood out was like the fight scene that it is pretty a p- pathetic fight scene but there's that was like bambi and the other girl that come in right is that right am yeah. i trying to am i yeah. thinking the right bambi and thumper, yeah. yeah i think that that's kind of the only bambi and thumper thank you that's the only redeeming thing in my opinion of this but i now that you're saying about like the old yeller connery movie that's like totally what it is and i but yeah i just one of the hardest to get through for me he makes a getaway in a moon rover through the desert i don't i don't know what's not to like I felt like he knew it too. Like if they didn't oh, yeah, throw did. money at him, like he wouldn't have been in this. So I don't like strictly blame him for doing the movie. Like you can pay someone enough to do just about anything, but I, he knew he was done and then they drug him in for it anyway by throwing a briefcase of money at him. But I really, this did not need to happen. Well, from that to another one that I question, did we need this to happen? The first sequel, if you will. Quantum of Swallows is going to come in at 23 on our countdown. Jake, you have it at the highest. So why don't you give us the honors and tell us what you love about Quantum of Solace? Oh, interesting. Well, I, I'll actually, the, the only reason I like it, I'll tell you, is because of the seamlessness between Casino Royale with Mr. White on, late, on the like Cuomo to that absolutely incredible chase scene with the Aston Martin in the tunnel and things like that. Like, I absolutely love that, but that's the only redeeming thing. (laughs) I have to say, like, I don't really like uh, a lot of the other parts of it. Like, I think that it was slow, not very compelling. I like, I kind of like the opera scene where they're like, 
pointing out all the people in the audience and he's getting like, you know, the, the specter crowd and things. I kind of like that, but I really, that the only thing is, is I do believe that it's one of the best openings and that's why it ranks so much higher. Okay. It does have a strong cold open for sure. Now yeah. from, from the top to the bottom, I'm going to come in. This is my lowest ranked one and I did give it another shot before coming in here. And I just don't think Bond needs sequels. And I'm I'm kind of the opposite of Brian. I, I want no connectivity. I want them to be completely interchangeable. And obviously, we will always reflect when it was made. But I felt like they dug themselves too deep of a niche here. Uh, and it's a shame because some of the locations they went to are awesome. I love the hotel in Argentina that they go to. And they have that fight scene in the end while it's burning down. I love the opera house that they're in in, Coven, uh, in Denmark, I believe. And it's just an amazing looking movie. But there's also a heaviness to it that it doesn't have the same joy for me that all the other Bonds do. So paired with trying to connect or trying to extend Casino Royale, this is what wasn't working for me. So uh, now to somebody in the middle, I'm going to throw this one to Chad. You have this one at 24. I think you hit it for me. The meanness of this movie is what causes me to rank it as low in addition to... I. I can appreciate that they tried a sequel approach. I'm not going to fault them for that. It didn't work. I also feel like when you're going for a more grounded bond, having someone named Strawberry Fields is goofy. Like, please uh, don't do that. She's pretty enough. It doesn't matter. <laughs> oh, she is pretty. <laughs> yes, Gemma Arterton's gorgeous. But, you know, in the Craig era, are we really still doing these weird names? But We can't throw motor- everything out. Yeah. The motor oil in the end was just, it's too mean. It's just not Bond for me. Okay. Now, Toby, you're going to be stepping us up. You have this at 20, so still uh, still moving, warming up to it a little bit compared to Chad and I. What do you think about Quantum of Solace? Yeah, just a little bit. Um, I, I feel like it's a film that is everything good about it comes from Casino Royale. But the fact that it connects to a casino royale hampers its ability to work as its own film. Like, I think I really like the idea of James Bond off on some revenge spree. But I also don't think he needed it after Casino Royale. Actually, his character art was done at the end of that film. He should have got Mr. White and that should have been, you know, the end of it. And he should have gone off and he should have been James Bond. I don't think we needed a whole movie of him being moody um, and rebelling from MI6. So that's not very positive, I know. No, uh, you're right. Uh, that, that sounds a lot yeah. like Chad and I. You're just a, just a couple slots higher. Fry, you have this one right where Toby does at 20 as well, so not the highest. How do you feel about that? So this movie, I, I have to go into a, a little bit of a thing here. So with the Daniel Craig movies, I was excited to have a... Uh, a Christopher Nolan style bond Genesis to quote unquote completion series of bond movies. So I was all on board for the continuity piece, but I do think that this is likely the uh, dead man's chest of bond movies. (laughs) It really is a segue piece between (laughs) Casino Royale and Skyfall and do I think it needed to happen? Probably not. I'm not altogether sad it did. Like, I'm okay with a good revenge Bond movie. 
But again, it's 20th, so it's not something I need from Bond. I think what I liked about it is when, after I first saw it, I felt like I was defending it to a lot of people, even though it wasn't the most enjoyable Bond. You are friends with me. <laughs> I broke it down to synonyms for the title. The title means measure of peace. He's not done yet. He has not gotten what he needed for Vesperlin's death and had to go that extra step. And it really loads up Spectre. So it's not without its merit because he doesn't know what he's going after. He doesn't know what he's fighting, but he's going to fight it. So this movie moved around on my rankings by far the most. I had it as high as 13 at one point and then knocked it back down again because I was like, yeah, but so in terms of making Daniel Craig who he is in Spectre, it needed to happen. But this is just in a longevity storyline, not as a one-off movie. So as a one-off movie, it's my number 20. But I felt like that content needed to be there. Okay. Now, we're going to go to You Only Live Twice. And Brian, you're going to hold the microphone because you have this one the highest of anybody. You have this one ranked at number 15, even though we're now, sorry, we're at our number 22 movie. So Brian, what do you think about You Only Live Twice? So on this one for me, it was more, this was the fun movie for me. I'm sure it would get blasted right now uh for its content yes um but like i remember watching it and this is back when there was a formula to bond where like bond would do things he would make allies there would be a big like your army of good guys against your army of bad guys sequence toward the end where bond you know narrowly saves the day well i actually was fascinated by the Japanese point in this, like it went into to Hong Kong a little bit. And I just, it was an area of the world bond had not touched on yet. And, and I was excited about that. Yeah. Now, Jake, you have in this one ranked the lowest. What are you, what's your take on this volcano layer? And uh, Donald Pleasance as probably the closest thing to Dr. Evil. I just, you know, I think that, so like with um, Diamond and Thunderball, which we'll talk about later, they're one of the ones that I saw when I was younger and they had like an impression of like the being like kind of boring and slow, right? Like, so it's like, what are we, like, what am I watching this for? So I, I really don't have like a mature sense of the movie. And I think it's kind of me going off of like my Saturday morning movie selection when I was a kid and my parents were like, yeah, I watched this one. But yeah, I, that's, that's the only reason why it was, well, it was boring to me as a kid. So, yeah. Okay, so. Toby, you're going to be similar to Jake. You have this one at 19. Tell us what your thoughts are on You Only Live Twice. I think it's a travesty that Donald Pleasance is remembered as Blofeld above Telly Savalas and Charles Gray because he's easily the worst. Uh, I think, <laughs> Agreed. I think um, <laughs> he's just a pantomime villain. I think uh, Sean Connery looks as if he'd be rather melting on the surface of the sun than be doing this movie. He's not feeling it. <laughs> You're not wrong. He was. <laughs> if it wasn't for that, I think I'd like it because I love the I love the action scenes. I think that overhead shot of them fighting on the roof um, where they're running a, across it is beautiful, and so many of the like the, the uh, set design by Ken Adam is just beautiful. 
Um, and the script's even pretty good in places, but I just feel like um, Sean Connery really drags the whole thing down and he really he, he bums the vibe, as you guys would say, across the pond. You're not wrong. I think I think what you're picking up on is uh, a combination of like things just not aging well. And, you know, he dresses up and impersonates somebody who is from Japan and super not selling it. And um, mm-hmm. and then the other thing is, like you said, he's just not he's kind of going through the motions. He's in a very bad relationship with Cubby Broccoli and the producers yeah. of this movie at this point. He's just not into it. And it shows, you know, he's an yeah. actor, but he can't turn that bad feelings away that he has so it's a shame that things soured and i am with toby i think this one had the potential to be so much more oh good i i am curious where does christoph waltz fall on your blowfelds oh, i the, i forgot he was even blowfeld that's that says all you need to know well, you have time yeah, i was gonna say <laughs> you have time to ruminate on that because it's coming up soon chad though you only live twice yeah it, it's a shame this movie is supremely racist because it's actually kind of fun <laughs> uh, yeah right so, so uh, <laughs> I'm bad it is that. like terribly racist movie. Yeah, I mean, you just can't. we don't need to belabor this anymore. Uh, it's the most problematic Bond. Bird no make bush and bear tree. <laughs> never say never again. Now, uh, we've heard a little bit about this one. This is the unofficial non-canon one. This is going to come in at number 21. Now, Jake, you have this one pretty high at number five. I do. That was embarrassing. What? But now, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. Toby demands like, an explanation. We all do. I know it does. I. It was another one. I think it was probably the second or third Bond that I saw as a kid because it was like just released, so it was newer. I I actually didn't realize until later that it wasn't part of the you know United Artists thing or whatever, and. But I have to say, I think Fatima Blush or whatever, I think it's her name. Yeah, Fatima Blush. She's a good villain. And that, I think, is what like sort of stands out. And I love, like, I, I don't know. I think it's watchable and it's entertaining. I, and I, I, I don't know. It, it, just... it gives me some Pac-Man fever, that's for sure. <laughs> What'd you say? It gives me Pac-Man <laughs> fever, that's for sure, with the arcade games. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's right. Oh, I forgot about that. The, like the electrical shock thing. Yes. No, I just, I, yeah, I just, I don't know. I think like it's it's more of like the nostalgia thing that carries it, I guess, for me. You get one nostalgia, and that's that's what you're gonna <laughs> use this one. Okay. <laughs> no, sorry. Fr- oh, sorry. 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 <laughs> Oh, another one's coming. Fry, this, okay. you, 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 you tipped your, your hand on this one. You're the last place uh, voter on this one. I guess choking chicks with bikini tops is not your thing. I have tried to watch <laughs> this movie so many times. And in the end, I've never watched it end to end. So that'll tell you one thing. And the second thing is, is I legitimately refer to this as the shitty thunderball. <laughs> And so right. <laughs> that I it, it it is, it's not canon for a reason. Like oh my god, train wreck! Like I I I don't think I hate any Bond movies, but if I had to, it would easily be this one. Okay, okay, strong words. I don't think we're gonna be any stronger than that one. I think everybody else has gone through their bottom movie by now. I think so. Uh, yeah, that you'd that, be wrong. Oh, you're right. Yeah, sorry, Chad's holding back still. Yeah. All right. So let, let's warm up a little bit from there, Toby. It looks like you're a little bit warmer on this one than Fry. 
a little bit. I actually only uh, deigned to watch this one a couple of months ago. I refused to watch it out of loyalty to uh, good for the you. franchise. <laughs> good uh, for you. For many, many years. I respect your position. It got yeah, but it got the nights got long waiting for No Time to Die to come out, and I needed my fix of new bonds. Truth. So did, I decided did, to did it dive do it for in. you? Uh, no, no. So it's, it's twenty. Dude, this movie. I'm sorry, real quick. This movie is the oil <laughs> can in the desert to quench your thirst. <laughs> <laughs> like oh, brutal. <laughs> Brutal. They they handed you an olive branch. You just didn't know it was on fire. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, so Chad, warm us up a little bit more. Uh, you have this at 16. Yes. This movie narrowly edged out racism. So <laughs> that's where I'm coming from. It, it just one above you only live twice. It was less racist. And that's the best thing I can say for it. It, it, that is a positive thing to be less racist. Yes, I have this at twenty, but I think I like it more than everybody else, other than Jake here. So. <laughs> no, um, but yeah, I, it does have. I I do think uh, Fatima Blush, as well as the this version of Domino, this is a retelling of Thunderball. Brian's not wrong. It, it, Thunderball mm. was caught up with the legal case, and Kevin McClory fought for the rights of this and it took him years to even get this made. And it was just a Sean Connery middle finger. As I just mentioned, he was on such bad terms with the producers, even though Roger Moore's octopusy was opening up the same year, he went up against them, uh, in competition. So, uh, it, it was, this, this whole project is a giant middle finger to cubby broccoli. So, and, um, and Brian Fry, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so, moving on number 20 this is octopusy now chad this this is your bottom pick but before we do that jake this is still your top sorry you're oh, going to be the God. high viewer on this one you're at number six on octopusy tell us what you love about it well when you guys say it about i'm the highest of never say never and there's like audible uh, but this okay follow me for a second like this one has pretty solid stunts in it okay like i i think like with there's a great part and i know this is stupid but as a kid the mercedes on the train track that's lame right but the train hits that thing and there's two old men in a boat that they're stuntmen and the car like you know clearly hits one of them as it's flying at them but so as a kid i was like thrilled with that it's lame it has like it's culturally insensitive there's that stupid scene with the snake charmer, right? Yeah. Who like plays the James Bond theme to lure him in. Like that drives me crazy. The 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 hunt that James Bond somehow outruns a tiger. But there's the whole like like the the whole like I love the camp of it. Plus also, what's with that Swedish actress? I forget her name. She's Not she's like dubbed over the entire movie. Or something. I don't understand it. Yeah, it's terrible. But I love I love every second of the terribleness. And it's like I, I don't know, Mada Adams is in it. Yeah. You see what you you see what I did? Add another twenty years and die another day is gonna be number six on your countdown. It's 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 the time factor. <laughs> really? Yeah. And it is a nostalgia thing, and I know I only got one half of that I wish I would have like. Well liked, you, like that a you found bit. another pass. So good for you. Yeah. <laughs> 
Chad, 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 you have this one at last. I guess flying a plane through a barn in dramatic fashion to open the movie is not going to do it for you. They put James Bond in a clown suit. <laughs> I just... Did you like that? Did that, I do did that not. feel good? I, I do not like my secret agent assassin dressed as a freaking clown. He's undercover. Uh, yeah. Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> even this, even the MacGuffin he's chasing is lame. It's a Fabergé egg. Like, come on. Everything else, the world's in danger. There are nukes. No, we've got an egg to chase in a clown suit. I hate everything about this movie. And he spent some years in therapy over it, so. No, not not yet. Everything that Jake just cited, I'd kind of repressed. It was like, oh, the friggin' Cobra scene. My God, just, you know, I, I'm going to have to go gonna take to, some blood to, pressure pills. You need to just pills. cool off. Have, have a Coke and a smile here because uh, we, we're going to have to go warm up a little bit here. Ch- Fry, you have this one at 22. Warm us up a little. So I don't have that much animosity toward this movie. It opened <laughs> up some other scenes that I like. You only live twice where it, like we haven't been there yet. Like it doesn't belabor old sets and that sort of thing. The parts in India were kind of cool. I don't really have a problem with it outside of the octopusy piece where it's just like, are you all just trying to see how many times you can work this into a movie? Like, I, 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 I don't know. It's, it, it, it was one of those things where when I saw my first bond movie again, it was Goldeneye. I used to think that, every Bond movie had to have gold in the title because my knowledge base of, of Bond at the time, like I had heard of Goldfinger and uh, man with a golden gun. So I thought it was like a sequential thing. I didn't realize that, that there was more to it than that. And uh, obviously found out more about it later, but it, it just, it was one of those things where I'm like, man, they are really harping on this. And I understand it's, you know, let's be edgy. Let's be whatever. I just, I don't know. There, there's just not a whole lot to this movie where I'm like, yeah, but then also if it's on, am I going to watch it? Probably. Wow. <laughs> so I have a rank below you actually. I have it at 24, but I, I, there's parts of this movie I do enjoy the train sequence. I do find interesting and I do like the cold war tensions that we have in this. And I like the villain and I do like the henchman of the knife throwing, you know, circus, yeah, I would say skilled gymnasts and acrobats that uh, there's parts of this I really do enjoy. And it's just Roger Moore being Roger Moore. And while it's ranked next to last for me, I like it considerably more than Quantum of Solace. That's crazy pants. There's a cliff for all the other movies. And then and then there's Quantum of Solace at the bottom of the cliff. So so this is this is many marks up for me. So I there are a lot of things I'd like about this one myself. So I'm not my ranking doesn't agree with Jake, but my sentiment, I kind of feel you there. Toby, you're up with Jake. You're at number seven on Octopussy. Tell us tell us why you like it. Um, Because Roger's having such a good time and it's such <laughs> a it's such a refreshing antithesis to the way Sean was playing the role by that point where he was just done with it. Whereas I feel like Octopussy was one that Moore really threw himself into. I think the stunts are great. You can't see the the lines between him and his stuntmen as well as you as easily as you can in the <laughs> next film. Okay. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's pretty egregious. And yeah, I just, I find myself laughing in it. It does have a buzzsaw yo-yo. That's pretty awesome. Like, it hit, 
Roger Moore and his bloody alligator. Uh, Roger Moore and his alligator submarine. That's so terrible. Going into the harem of women that he's <laughs> fantasizing about. It's hilarious. You know, Roger Moore beds more women than any other Bond. This man, like, he is he is the ultimate womanizer of all the Bonds, for sure. Yep. Yeah, he's walking up. He's not as rapey as Sean is, though. <laughs> that, that's a low bar. Yeah. <laughs> Brett, are we talking in real life or are we talking in the movies? Oh. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> moving on moving on to the world is not enough will be our number 19 bond movie i have this one at the highest at number nine and i'm grossly out of proportion with everybody else on this one and i think this one just probably has to do with when i fell in love with bond i mean pierce brosnan was my first bond and uh i like this one a good bit i don't want to give too much away but there's a twist of, in, in pertaining to the main villain not being who you thought the main villain would be. And I thought that that was really creative for the Bond movies to do. And where they were someone who you think you can trust and then you can't trust them. And it's really cool. So I think there are some great scenes. It's got skiing. It's got buzzsaws hung by helicopters coming after you. It's got Robbie Coltrane coming back. Uh, you know, I'll admit the henchman with the teeth is not particularly good, but Judy Dench is increasing her role here. There's a lot, a lot for me to like here. And I like Renard as a villain who just can't feel pain. So that's that's a good formidable villain that I like to go up against here. So Chad, tell me why I'm wrong, because you have it in 23. <laughs> this is a bad stretch for me, man. I, I, I will start with Christmas Jones. Uh, Denise Richards being a... I did not mention that part. Yes, you're right. Uh, a scientist. I overlooked that on purpose. Yeah, he's terrible. The The twist you were talking about has been done in about a dozen previous Bond movies, so that wasn't surprising for me. I saw this with my father, who grew up as a Bond fan, but he hadn't seen them in probably 10, 15 years, and he's very conservative so i'm i'm listening to fry alluded to this earlier the lazy jokes of i thought christmas only came once a year and i'm sitting there with my father and it was just uncomfortable it was a bad movie that was soured even further by grumpy chad dad yeah 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 (laughs) okay So. so we got a bad case of the grumpy chad dads now, Fry, you, again, you're going to be the warmer-upper here. You, you you move up marginally from Chad here at 21. What do you think? I actually place most of my issue with this movie on Denise Richards uh, because I like if they had had someone else less pop culture, because that's what Bond movies are all about. Like It's about introducing new people to the world. It's not you know get the most popular person at the time. That's the reason Halle Berry was a flop. Um, I, I just, I think if that was different and again, Pierce Brosnan movies relied so heavily on the gadgetry. They really need to pull that back. I think that's the reason Daniel Craig's movies. Oh, I love gadgets. No, no, I'm, I, I, I feel like they went too far the other direction with Daniel Craig, but I, I do think that they looked at what was wrong with Pierce Brosnan movies with the, the plethora the constant like he got rearmed with new gadgets like halfway through the movie and then there's a whole nother thing so you can have gadgets but i just felt like if you replaced her and then de-emphasized by 30 percent the gadgetry and made it more about the espionage 
this movie actually would have been a, a good movie. Okay, Toby, continue to warm us up here a little bit. You're going to you're going to have this one at number 15 for us. So you're kind of in the middle here. I've got to agree there about the gadgetry. I think the biggest problem with Brosnan's Bond is that I never actually feel like he's in any real danger. And I think that's the thing that lets the world is not enough down the most. I think it's got everything there to be brilliant. It's got, as somebody said, uh, buzzsaws from helicopters, which is an amazing concept. And yet somehow you're a bit bored while watching it. It doesn't really grab you like it should do. And I don't really know why there isn't that spark at the center of the movie. Earlier on, you uh, didn't give Brosnan a, a lot of love. So maybe it's just simply the wrong Bond and the wrong movie for you. Yeah, maybe because I yeah I just don't think he he I think if if you maybe had if you had a, if you had Dalton or Craig in the world is not enough I think it would be a brilliant movie because uh, but I because I think they bring the appropriate gravitas to it because it's quite a dark uh, story. You're doing what I love to do, and I don't want to go too far in this rabbit hole, but I often ask myself what would this movie have been with the other Bond, and it's it's it, they're always so drastically different. So that's a really good point you make, and Jake. You, you're closer to me on this one. You have this one at number twelve, so you're you've got you've got me in better company on this one. It seems like you like the world is not enough a little better. The only like redeeming part of this movie is it's by far the best cold opening of the Bonds, in my opinion. I, and I would argue like tooth and nail for this. It and I have a distinct memory because like uh, I took Luke and my childhood friends to see this and. If you remember, it starts out with the, like the bank, the exchange. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like yeah. the money, like for the ransom. And, and he like jumps out the window and, and everything. And Luke turned to me and said, that was a terrible opening. And I said, it's not over yet. And then it became the best with the boats and stuff. Like that was it's like awesome. Like, I, I'm sorry. Like that's the only reason why it goes up. But like, look, Denise Richards brings this sucker down. Not believable. <laughs> Oh, it, she is a giant weight on this movie. They're they're on that freaking pipe cleaner going like three thousand miles per hour, and she's like barely scared and be like disarming a nuclear weapon or whatever or a bomb. Like, it, I just it, it it's not yeah, it's not believable. However, the villainess, uh, I forget what um, Sophie Marceau is the actress's name. It she's good. She's a good villainess, and like with the whole like neck and thing, so is Renaud. Yeah, she's not. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's a cancer in this movie that if you cut it out, you would actually have a viable host. Do we need to explain why the villain can't feel pain? No one explained why Jaws had metal teeth. It was. But just... again, like it's a belaboring the point thing. They were so into saying medulla oblongata in movies at this time. I don't know if you ever noticed this, but they mentioned <laughs> that part of the brain in like nine different movies during that time. And you're like, okay, we get it. You like saying this on screen. Stop. You have Waterboy to thank for that one. That's Adam Sandler. Oh yeah. my God. They were hitting it like it was something cool. And you're like, why are you doing this? You know what is cool? Our number 18 movie. See what I did there with that segment there? That's that's a transition. That's what we call that here in the business. So, uh, Segway. Spectre is number 18. It's our latest release movie at the time of our recording here. Jake, you have this one at the highest point here at number nine. Tell us what you love about Spectre. Maybe the anticipation of seeing it and Christoph Waltz. I like him. 
I do too. Just in general, like it, everything he's been in has been diverse, but eerie, you know, from the dentist in Django to even this. It, I don't love the story of it, but like, I do like the pace of it. And uh, and also even like Monica Bellucci, right? She's she's kind of like that aging like woman, right? I, I, if I'm, I'm remembering this correctly. Yeah. I haven't seen it often. I have to say, like, I think that this is probably my, like, the bond that I've seen the least, but I just, I just liked where it was taking us, right? Like, I thought that it was, like, kind of a reset, kind of, because Skyfall was awesome, sorry, we're going to talk about that later, but it kind of was playing into the bond getting back into, like, the spy mode. Right. So I like that. Like, and it was like opening up like kind of the bad villains. That's kind of why like Quantum of Solace was a little higher because it was like, oh, look at these bad guys. Does that make sense? I don't know. That's the only reason why it's like so high. I'm with you. Yeah. No, I hear you. Now, who doesn't hear you is Chad, who has it at 20. He's the low man on the totem pole this one. So Chad. (laughs) Yeah. This is like the stretch of grumpy old man for me. It is. I, I will... I will start with a praise. I think this has the best opening of all of the Bond films. You know, Jake mentioned the world is not enough. For me, it's the Day of the Dead sequence, Inspector. That was really cool. I think it's incredible. It's bright. It's vibrant. There's just so much cool going on, and it's so unfortunate the rest of the movie just can't hold up to that opening. I hate the story, particularly because the directors came out Everyone said, oh, Christoph Waltz is going to be this character. And they're like, no, 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 he's a new character. And then we watch the movie, and he isn't. We're like, why Why did you do this? And nobody cared. Right, right. And the scene with Monica Belushi, I've got to call it out. Like, we're past this. We're past the Sean Connery phase of Bond. Like, you can't be doing that. So that that frustrated me to see it in Daniel Craig's Bond. It seems to fit Daniel Craig, though. I mean, like, it didn't feel like Roger Moore. Like, like when Roger Moore, like, twists a woman in an arm, you're just like, this doesn't feel right. <laughs> I wouldn't compare the Monica Bellucci thing to any of Sean Connery's escapades. It seems yeah, it seems true. fitting to it seems fitting to the Craig character. But I'm not I'm not far ahead of you, though, Chad. Spectre, I came out of there excited at the time but then i went back and watched it later and you're right the day of the dead scene in the particular it, it hooked me early on and i was excited to see waltz's blofeld and i did enjoy that i wanted to see a lot more from the henchman mr hinks I, in, this movie is pretty i like the style of it but the journey that it takes me on again we're connecting our bonds a little too much this is a feeling of backstory, and this is honestly something I really would like to get rid of as we go for the next Bond era. I, I don't like this connectivity. Uh, also, they set us up for good skiing action, and they kind of took it away. Like, they, they, oh. they took you to a mountain to ski. They gave you a great location, beautiful, uh, sh- um, uh, you know, gondola, and then it's over, just like that. And it's just like, mm. I almost was like, hey, where's the deleted scenes for all the skiing stuff? Because... You know, you, you gave me one of my favorite things in Bond, and you take it away from me. And then, like, phew, it's gone. Annoyed about that. Yeah, Toby, you're, 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 again, moving up a little bit from me, but you have it at 16 in the middle as well. Tell us about it. I feel like I love everything individually about this movie. Like, every action scene I think is great. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I just think the story that is hanging together is 
possibly the worst in all of Bond, mainly because the fact that it apes Austin Powers, and I will never ever be able to wrap my head around why they thought ripping off an Austin <laughs> Powers plot was a good idea for a James Bond movie. That's a very good um, point. <laughs> and and, it, and I think that reverberates like every scene where you're supposed to feel tension and you're supposed to feel for the characters. You're just like, okay, when's when's the scene going to amp up? And most of the good action is in the first half of the movie. So by the end, I'm just left a bit cold and just waiting for it to be over, really. But it looks very nice. And I love the music. It is a, uh, it is a pretty film. All these Craig films are directed with good skill yeah. they're, they're all pretty films fry close us out inspector here you have it at 13 so this is another one that bounced around on the the list i feel like daniel craig movies in general are are difficult to rank because they are so uh inclusive of one another my my piece on specter is i had a lot of hope going into this movie christoph waltz is phenomenal i didn't read anything into it other than he's going to be the bad guy. And I was like, yep, that's going to be great. I think the thing that I like the most about it is you do get Daniel Craig becoming what we always knew Bond was. Like we start with Casino Royale. He kind of falls for this girl. He spends the second movie basically seeking vengeance. The third movie was figuring out whether or not he's really invested in this. And then the fourth movie is finding that somehow they have tied his personal life into all this stuff that's happened to him, which look, that was a risk. Did it hit? No, not really, but I appreciated them taking that risk. That's, that's something deviant from bond. And I don't think it fell flat. Like it was a complete failure, but it was a risk that I was like, okay, you know, hats off for you for trying. And I don't know, in the end, I was like, that's fine. But it also came after Skyfall. And that is such a tough act to follow. Right. It is. So, so after, you know, I left Skyfall, like, Oh, like that movie set my skin on fire. Hold back, hold back, hold back, hold back. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, Anyway, but yeah, it that but that's that's the reason Spectre was a shaky prospect was they tried to push the envelope from Skyfall. It didn't quite hit. That's fine, you know, sins of the father, whatnot. But uh, I don't know. I, I liked it better than most. Is it perfect? Absolutely not. Yeah. Now, number 17 on our list is going to be License to Kill. Toby, this is your first time where you've been the high voter for a while. So take the floor here. You have this one as your number two Bond movie. <laughs> yeah, um, I love this one more and more every time I watch it. I think Timothy Dalton delivers possibly the best Bond performance in the franchise. He's so he's both incredibly cold and clinical about the way he goes about things, and yet you can see this just white hot rage simmering underneath. And I really, I really buy into the the plot of it. I think the villain is one of the best in the series as well. I think his relationship with Bond is so fascinating, the way that they respect each other and they're mirror images of each other and end up, you know, tearing each other down and he almost does it by accident. Yeah, I just think in in terms of an action thriller, I don't know if the Bond movies ever top it. However, that's not usually exactly what Bond movies are going for. 
so I can understand why it wouldn't be as high for other people. But I think it does what it's trying to do perfectly. And yeah, I love it. Well, in the words of the great Wayne Newton, bless your heart. (laughs) (laughs) Now tell me why I'm wrong. Uh, Chad, uh, actually, oh, I'm sorry. I'm used to Chad being the. Don't you dare! <laughs> I'm sorry. Chad won't be the anchor on this one. I will be. And you know what? When I'm coming last, I don't. I feel like I love this more than other people. So I like this movie. I think Javier, uh, sorry, um, Robert Davi is a really good villain, and Vinicio del Toro is very creepy. Uh, in, in one of his earlier appearances here. Carrie Lowell's not my favorite Bond girl, and the aesthetic of the movie is probably not as glamorous as the rest of the Bond movies. The 80s, late 80s, is getting to be a time when cars, clothes, hair, this is just not a great time for aesthetics. The architecture, Bond is a mirror upon its time, and 1989 is a, is a rough time to have the sophistication that these other movies do, whether it be from the Connery era, the Moore era, or later, I mean, Craig's era, or even whether it be the more fantastic side of the Brosnan era, I just feel like it gets stuck in the middle and it doesn't feel as as glamorous for me. So that's why it's not ranking higher. However, having said that, it's got great action. I love that truck scene at the end. It's a little more brutal. I, I, I'll say that uh, Dalton's Bond is definitely a forerunner to Craig's. He's he's rough, so a little bit more mean-spirited, and so probably why I don't like run to this one as often, but there's a lot of good moments, too, and they, there are moments of laughter in that, So which I, I do like to see that. So, uh, Fry, you're warming up, and uh, you're, you're close to me on this one. You're at 19. Dalton, to me, is erratic. Like, he's what I imagine a truly loose cannon bond would be like the one the thing that they always use in the the mechanism they always use in bond movies for the directorship to be like oh we got to rein him in doesn't make sense with any other bond except dalton to me yeah he goes rogue in this one for sure and i think he goes rogue more (laughs) as as we go forward from this it, but but it's not just that it's is it's also his actions in the film where you're watching the things that they're not seeing you're like okay that's valid with Timothy Dalton's bond yeah like most most bond movies uh, i'm going to tie this in to the show 24 i have always said that in 24 if they just listened to jack bauer the show would be called 3 <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one jake you have this one at 16 what about you man now I'm like thinking about. I mean, I think it, the 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 low val uh, well, uh, number for me or ranking probably is Wayne Newton. Just one like <laughs> I just think that part's so hokey. And but then I was like thinking about the brutality because I was like, oh yeah, that's right. Because there's like that you know was that guy's name Sharky who this is like really like and the guy like sharks meets the bottom yeah. of him and and then that guy gets blown up in the. Uh, that pressure depressurization thing or whatever. Oh, it's like, or I just like, like it is pretty brutal. Oh yeah. And like, I'm, I think it's just one of the more brutal bonds, but there are, I do, I do like Dalton's. It, it just seems, I don't know. I think that, I think when you were talking about like the stylized version of it and, and things like that, and I, I think that's probably it, but the hokiness with Wayne Newton at the end, I think that that's my problem with the entire bond. I know that I'm the Wayne King fish. The winking fish, yes. Oh, yeah. Fish, really. I try. I try to turn it off before that bit. 
Chad, Chad, you're going to be one above Jake here. So you're you're pretty much right in the middle of your rankings, but you're the number two voter on this one. License to Kill. Yeah, I like Felix Leiter stories. Now this one's a very tragic one, but I I like Timothy Dalton as the rogue Bond. Someone said it earlier. Um, it might have been Toby of you believe that he's going to kill people. So yeah, this is his revenge tour, and you're right, Russell, you mentioned it's brutal. There's someone chopped up in a shredder. It ends with someone lit on fire through a lighter. So yeah, this this is an insane version of Bond, but I I still like it. Yeah, they had to take a break after this one. <laughs> so Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they had to sit down and think about what they did. <laughs> they, they did. <laughs> they did. Uh now, from there, we're going to go to number 16 for Your Eyes Only, and the number one voter for Your Eyes Only is Chad. So, Chad, from you're coming out of your curmudgeonry, and now you're yes. ready to become the positive light here. Tell us why you love For Your Eyes Only. Yeah, it's refreshing. It's kind of a tour de force of Bond. We get great locations. We get our skiing. I love skiing in Bond. There's going to be an exception. You're going to hear about it here soon. <laughs> but uh, I love the Bond girl, uh, Melina Havelock. It's oh, Carol Bouquet. No, no. <laughs> BB Doll was uh, Lynn Holly. You know what? I'll, I'll go to bat for Lynn Holly Johnson as BB as well. She's She does her job. She's meant to be annoying. I still like her. She's cute. I, I will defend all that. The underwater locations are cool. So I... I enjoy every everything about this movie. I went and rewatched it again, and the theme song is awesome too. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Russell's like, no. Sorry, yeah. that last take, that last take of the theme song had me pausing there. It's just like, no, I'm with Chad. And then you said that thing about the theme song. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to distance my. I just want to distance myself from that last part. Sorry. I, um... <laughs> I feel like this has the most recurring theme throughout all the bond movies they play that theme song a lot i have this one at 21 so i'm going to be the low voter on this one but i like it an awful lot and i i agree with everything you said i just think that there's 20 of them that i like more and that's we're getting out of that zone where i might be like eh, they don't really like this about that and I'm, again 1981 the 80s bonds are just not quite as glamorous so that's all there is to it. I mean, Chad knows I'm not a big 80s music guy. I'm not big on 80s, you know, furniture, product design, architecture, et cetera. Go down through the list. And um, it, this is a tough time for me. So I was born into it, but I don't really remember a lot of it. It's for the best. Yeah. Fry, you're, you're, you're moving up, warming up here. You're at 16. All right. This movie had a lot of fun to it. There's a lot of th pieces to it that were traditionally bond and you just get to enjoy it. But that's why I have it as a middle of the pack movie. I don't think there's necessarily anything really special about it. I just think that it's a solid bond film. It's also one of the ones that I don't necessarily watch all the time on purpose so that I have a couple that are still fairly fun to rewatch from time to time. And it's a weird pocket of bond movies that I keep in that kind of range just so it's a little fresher than some of the ones that I might beat to death. Nice. Now, Jake, this movie, uh, does it make you want to eat pistachios? You have this at 15. I, I, the reason why, I mean, I do love parts of this movie. I think it's fantastic. The ski scene, phenomenal. That's like so great. The problem I think is, is kind of the, 
the story and the villains don't really sort of hit home to me, if that makes any sense. I feel like the story's weak and and the villains aren't as pathologic as I would like. Absolutely. No, you're right. Does that make sense? Like even even like the Hulking guy with henchmen, it just it's like but it but it is kinda it's it is the locations are, are great, but that's basically it. Yeah, totally that. Yeah, and Toby, you're you're trending up at twelve. Yeah, I I think the biggest issue this film has is the the tone of it sort of veers about the place. Like, I'm thinking especially of the musical choices in certain scenes, like with the when it goes and it ruins the tension. But on the whole, it's got very good action. Uh, like everyone else, I love the skiing. I think the scene where Bond has to climb up the rope up the side of the mountain is a good tense scene. It's not action oriented, but you're just like watching him overcome this physical obstacle. And I think that's cool. You don't get too much of that from Roger Moore usually for obvious reasons. We do need more climbing in Bond. That is a good thing to do. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's, it's tense it's, and, and it makes you feel very on edge as a viewer yeah from the mountains to the underwater that's a good point good juxtaposition too the the villain um the fact that he goes down like climbing it getting winded up a flight of stairs with a knife in the back says all you need to know about him which is a shame he's played by julian glover he's great as michael keaton said let's get nuts this next one's probably the most far out most outlandish one yet it is moonraker at number 15 and uh, it is reflecting its time and star wars happened in the 70s and so did moonraker because uh, it is james bond's answer to star wars toby you have this at number nine tell us what you love about moonraker it's just a great movie to get drunk to it is Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah i just honestly i have uh, every time i watch this one i enjoy it more and more i think you have to be in a very certain mood to enjoy it like christmas day with your relatives half of whom are asleep and you're all a bit drunk on turkey and wine but if you're in that mindset then i don't think there's a more enjoyable film to be had i think that people get annoyed about the fact that james bond became cartoonish in the 70s i think it's what kept him alive and relevant and and enjoyable you know it wasn't an era where the connery movies would have gone down as well and so right. I like the fact that they could have a laugh at their own expense. Connery would have been viewed as a square in this era. You're right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Jake, you have this at 21. You're a big Roger Moore fan. This surprises me a little bit. You're the you're the you're the low voter here. You know, as I was like thinking about this, I think it goes too hokey for me. I know that's going to sound ridiculous considering of my praise of Octopussy and my rant, <laughs> but I just don't. <laughs> I don't know. Like I don't. I don't. I I think maybe it was just like the tech or something. Like didn't wasn't the believable as some of the things. Like I I like the fact that like uh, like it went octopusy went over the top, right? And this one tried to make it seem very technological. I, I, I that's kind of probably my biggest critique of it. Um, however, I will say I love the opening. Like, you know, when she's like, hire Mr. Bond or my ears will pop. And then he gets like thrown out of the plane. Right. You know, and, and like Jaws, like the, the, that's, that's incredible. That's a great opening. Yeah. That's kind of the only thing too. Cause it's a little bit brutal for me too. Cause that woman gets like eaten by those dogs. Like that just freaked me out as a kid. So 
that's probably why it belongs. That's out of character for more. I will I will say that. That feels like that belongs in License to Kill. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Chad, you have this one at number 14. Jaws is making you happy here? It is, and it is mostly due to Jaws, and there's absolutely no reason I should like any of this. Like, if you told me, we're going to bring Jaws back, and he's going to find love, and you're going to be into it, be like, no, no, that's uh, that's not going to happen. But you know what? The gondola fight is awesome. I That's one of my favorite scenes in all of Bond. This is an extremely goofy, goofy movie, but I don't know. Somehow it it works for me. I'm I'm down to clown here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm I'm just one ahead of you. I have this at thirteen and I I have a great time with this one. And, you know, like I said, it's one of those things where enough time goes by and all the campy, goofy things that probably made people shake their head at the time and say, Uh, you've you sir, you've gone too far and then they come back with a more grounded one like for your eyes only. Bond is the pendulum swinging back and forth, and this is when the pendulum swings the farthest to the fantastic. But you know what? I love laser guns. I love James Bond, and I love Jaws. I like the Brazil scene. I like going to outer space. And the villain is uh, cartoonish in all the right ways for me. So I am I have a good time with this one, and I return to it frequently. So Fry, how about you? You're at 11 on this one. So I have, I'm going to make this as succinct as possible. I have four Bond movies that I had on VHS after uh, getting Goldeneye. And it was my intro to other Bonds. Uh, it was Thunderball. It was Moonraker. It was um, View to a Kill. And I don't remember the other one. Anyway, this was one That of one them. really so, made an impact on you, I can tell. <laughs> no, I'm just... Like trying I'm to kidding. picture the, the, the cassette tapes. But anyway, I, I, I beat them to death. I mean, I watched them over and over and over. Moonraker was one of them. The thing I like is is that formula in the Bond movies where they go to blank, you know, insert number here, number of locations throughout the movie. Like, I need that from a Bond movie. That's one of the things I love is where they transfer, you know, he's hunting someone down and they go location to location. And Moonraker was really one of the personifications of that. So this, that, that whole piece here and this movie really, really, really got me into Michael Lionsdale or Lonsdale. When I saw him later on, this is probably in my teens, he was in a movie called Ronin with Robert Downey Jr. I was like, it's Drax! Yes! It's Drax! This is awesome! So, anyway, it this was, a, this was an intro movie for me where I was trying to get into other Bonds, and it is one that I've watched probably close to the most. On to number 14 with Thunderball, and I am your high voter with this at number 3, and this is probably the it hurts me the most to see that we as a group have selected this one at 14 I, I i genuinely love this one i love the underwater sequences i love the villain uh largo is amazing the, the bond girl domino uh which it is the same domino that we have earlier with never say never again but i like claudine arger so much more there is a new great henchman fiona volpe is a female henchman which is an this is an early sighting for Bond to do something like that. She's a deadly beauty. I love the island setting, and you know it's got everything that I could want and uh, and more. It's uh, it's so iconic to me. And you know, you say James Bond, and this is one of the ones that just pops in my head. So, uh, Toby, you might feel differently because you have this one ranked at twenty-five. 
rock bottom. Wow. As, yeah. Right. I feel like this is just the one where uh, the engine completely stalled with Connery. I feel like the 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 pacing is atrocious. The first hour, the first forty minutes of the movie is just spent with Bond dossing and pulling pranks on this random Spectre dude. Uh, who you it, I, I I think you need a little bit of that mint glove. <laughs> yes jake you're not much farther ahead than toby on this one you've got this one at 22 this is this is probably of all the bond movies on our countdown this one's probably going to be the biggest stratification of voters so you're you're more on the toby side of the spectrum what do you what's your take here you know i think it, uh, i like kind of agree with a little bit with what he said like the pace of it i just didn't i thought it was very slow and maybe too like when it was the time it was introduced to me which was kind of 80s and i was into kind of the roger moore ones it, that's sort of where it kind of has had like a sour taste i guess but definitely but the underwater stuff totally is redeemable of it right and especially for the time like because that's that's pretty amazing but yeah that's kind of why it is terence young as the director might have been a little indulgent on the underwater scenes, like things move a little bit slow because it just blew people's minds that they were doing it so well at the time. So it has a longer runtime. That might be why you guys are saying it feels slow. It, it is longer and they do show you a lot of underwater stuff because to the modern day audiences, that might not have the novelty that it once did in 1965. So, yeah. um, Chad, uh, you're, you're, you're in the middle here. Thunderball. Yeah, it makes my top 10. I love the underwater lair. Love the setup for that. You mentioned Fiona Volpe. I think that's a really cool and important part, the female assassin. And even though the, I don't even know if you call it CGI at this point, just the moving screen with a jetpack, it hasn't aged well. I went back and rewatched this this week. Um, it, it's pretty obvious. It was... It's still one of the coolest gadgets uh, that Bonds use. So I love Thunderball. I, to me, it's a quintessential Bond movie. Oh, it also has the little oxygen tank that, uh, as a kid, I just like. I wanted one of those oxygen tanks that let you breathe for four minutes underwater so bad. Apparently, it's not real. So destroyed my reality. Fry number six for you is Thunderball. So, you know, this was one of the four I had. I remember the other one was Man with a Golden Gun. So that was rounding out the four that I beat to death. But Thunderball was probably the movie that got me most primed for enjoying a slow burn in a film. Like, it's not as action-packed as previous Bond movies, but it built well. And that suspense that it kind of builds up there... It, it almost gave me what I liked about Dr. No, but then in a new location and then built on it. Yeah. Now, number 13 in our countdown is going to be Tomorrow Never Dies, as opposed to Tomorrow Never Dies Today. So uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. Toby, you're our high voter here at number five. I think the the women in this are great. But, uh, I really like Terry Hatcher. And her relationship to Bond, I think it's one of the few times we actually see a chink in, in Brosnan's armor and you see him actually give a, a rat's ass about another human being, uh, which is a nice change of pace for him. I think the villain is excellent and very good social commentary. And, he, and watching it today is, is pretty scary how, how prophetic and tuned in they were. Mm. 
um, as to the sort of media landscape. I think the end is a bit of a problem. I think it peters out a bit uh, once they get to like Vietnam and you have the helicopter chase. But I think Brosnan's on top form. He's never more entertaining. They give you the motorcycle chase scene, though. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> With handcuffs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the the uh, the remote control car scene is a is a lot of fun. That is cool. Yeah, I want that app badly. So, uh, <laughs> you know, when uh, got to have a flip phone for it. Yeah, when when Apple came out and said there's an app for that, that was one of the first things that came to my head. So I can drive my car and shoot missiles out of it with it. Because <laughs> if there's an well, app for that, then that's the app that, that I want. That app. Nine ninety nine, well spent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Chad, you're 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 the bottom man on the totem pole once again here. Tell us why we're wrong. I think you should mention that the car that he had as a remote control was a BMW. We should stop that. I, it's an Aston Martin or nothing. But, yeah, I, I feel bad because I'm the opposite of Toby here. I like Michelle Yeoh. I normally like Terry Hatcher, but I don't like her in this role. And I don't think it's a good precedent to introduce us to Bond's former flings, like, we could go every single movie and be like, oh, here's a woman that Bond used to sleep with. Like, <laughs> where he's been across the entire globe. Like, let's not do that. So, to me, it, it's okay, but it's it falls in the realm of largely forgettable for me. Oh, man, Vincent Chiavelli playing Dr. Kaufman. I mean, uh, oh. yeah, that... He's got, he's great. I don't know. I could kill you from Stuttgart and still have the same effect. <laughs> yeah, let's move let's, let's move up the rankings to me on this one. I, I love it. I, I again, I think that Jonathan Price jumps the shark with his villain character. I think he's one of the least ambitious uh, as plots for a main villain. I mean, he wants to start World War Three, which is so Bond villain, but he wants to do it to get exclusive media rights like i mean if you can start world war three i mean kudos to you i just feel like you should set your bar higher than beating out cnn and fox news for for ratings that's just my you know um if it bleeds it leads i did like the uh, the german setting and i did like the, the motorcycle chasing is just phenomenal and uh, whereas Roger Moore is a lover, uh, Pierce is a fighter, man. He's just mowing people down with a machine gun in this one. Uh, he's, he's got the highest body count, and I believe it's heavily due to the last part of this movie. So, Fry, you have this one at number 12. This movie actually gained more credibility for me after I finished journalism school. This was, like he said, prophetic. I mean, this is something that we literally have to struggle with today that that news outlets do wield a considerable amount of power. And I felt like to actually have this as a Bond movie when it was made, it was probably still an issue then. Obviously, I wasn't cognizant of it at the time. But a phenomenal piece there. Sorry, and Jake, you have this one in your top 10. This one kicks off your top 10. What do you think about Tomorrow Never Dies? I think the, the whole media sort of dominating the world thing. I actually, though, I put it up there when I was like thinking about it because of Michelle Yao. I think she does a phenomenal job. I think I like that character in it, right? I don't really love like Terry Hatcher and like uh, we said earlier about like the former Bond love and stuff like that. But it, it 
it's that that's sort of why it was ranked a little higher for me. I just think that she's a good counter in that whole like, you know, um, two sides coming together type thing. I, I liked I liked her in it. Number one, this is our first sighting of a number one movie. This what? is a View to a Kill. I'm gonna guess that San Francisco location where you are located might have yeah. something to do with this. Listen, you guys are all wrong for every aspect about it. And I'll tell you why, because Luke and I do a spreadsheet every Bond release for the last 15 years. This one ranks best song, best villain, best henchman, best ridiculousness of like a Roger Moore story. It's great. Like now I've heard critiques of this, that like, you know, uh, Zorin has his fingers in way too many businesses, like, like an industrialist oil, you got mining, you have um, horse racing, microchips, it's a little bit much. Uh, uh, what is it called? The, the blimp. But this is the best. And I would stand by it and it does not have nostalgia in it. it it's just perfect, in my opinion. And I think that it, it has everything from like the henchmen to the car chasing and the, the chasing in France. To like, I, I, yeah, I love everything about it. I can watch this movie at any time. Maca. Maca. Oh, Maca. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I just, and the stupid. I mean, it's stupid. It's hokey, but it's so perfect. But the 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 fly fishing thing in the Eiffel Tower. I mean, it's it's great. I don't know. Also, too, this probably was my first Bond movie. <laughs> but that that yeah, that's why. Nothing to do with San Francisco, but everything with Christopher Walken and Grace Jones. They make the movie. It's so good. Sorry. Okay. That's it. No, it's it, it's your favorite, and I I love it as well. But you know who might not like it as much as you is Chad. <laughs> <laughs> this movie pisses me off from the first moment <laughs> it starts and never lets up. Uh Here's a little bit of fun trivia. I actually was banned from the Retro Movie Roundtable episode of covering this, so now's my time to shine. Uh, we ruin a great ski scene with the friggin' Beach Boys. Uh, we're throwing dynamite from a mini fridge from a blimp. I just, man. Well, you're not gonna throw it from a toaster, Chad. I yeah, you're not. Don't throw it at all. Uh, <laughs> Zorin, he's, he's right Zorin's involved in too much stuff I don't like Mayday as a character oh. uh, just nothing in this movie worked for me so I was rightfully banned from uh, the Retro Movie Roundtable episode so if you'd like to hear people not whine about this movie check it out yeah and Brian we, we you and I covered this one at length uh, earlier this year but uh, in short summary you have this one at 18 yeah, I, look, I don't have the issues with the characters that Chad does. Um, I've watched this movie a lot. It's just, I don't know. It just, it, this one doesn't do it for me. Uh, I think that's kind of the crux of it. So nothing really damning, just meh. Well, this is my number 11. I might have thought at a first glance I would have had a higher, but uh, I've watched this movie probably in the top five. I just somehow it comes on TV a lot and I see it a lot and I'm with Jake. I mean, this, 
this checks a lot of the boxes. It's got great villains, great henchmen. He covered it really well, and I covered it earlier. So I'm going to pass the baton over to Toby, who has this one higher than me, and it kicks off his top 10 at number 10. So, Toby, what do you like about A View to a Kill? Um, it's probably my favorite soundtrack. That's uh, a weird thing to start off with, but I just think the music is is gorgeous. I think uh, Roger's still really game. You know, the facelift helps. <laughs> I genuinely think the first 45 minutes of this film is some of like the easiest fun in all the franchise. You go from you go from skiing to him hanging out with Tibbet and him and Tibbet are great together. These <laughs> sort of, these, yeah, these, uh, bickering old people who should be in a home really by all rights, but no, they're out saving the world. And I, it's got this really sort of cozy warm vibe i think there's a reason we've all watched it it's probably in my top five most watched as well because it just feels like i'm you know like it was one last hurrah for roger and you're sort of coming home and everybody knows what they're doing and then you've got a bit of spice with christopher walken so yeah it's great yeah and so jake you're gonna be the high point on this next one again number 11 is the living daylights you guys are talking from um a little bit ago from for your eyes only the whole you should have more climbing in it this starts out with that it's like skydive to a climb if you remember and timothy dalton on that island in gibraltar it is a great opening yeah it is a great opening it's got a decent soundtrack it it's not as brutal as living daylight or uh, um license to kill and it's got a great ending like the the whole like opium out of the cargo plane that seems that's pretty fun to watch i mean i i like love that the the one weird thing though which is kind of interesting because if you the bad guy what is like pushkin or something he's the same actor that's the guy in goldeneye and like uh the, the yeah he's jack 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 cia jack wade yeah so it's just kind of like that kind of like throws me off i guess to like have like a dual like the actor play like two different things in the same franchise but yeah it's it's solid and like the the henchman that that's like kind of blowing up the place and like the, the, the at the beginning or in that um when they're all meeting at that like manor to steal that guy yeah it's it's, it's solid or the, the defector i didn't trust that milkman i did not trust that milkman yeah the milkman <laughs> yeah i like it yeah yeah now fry this is uh you haven't been the low man uh too many times but this is this one's the low mark for you but you have it at 17 so it's not that low well, you know, like I said, I have a rough time with Timothy Dalton ones. This one's more watchable for me than License to Kill was, but it is kind of the Rambo 3 of Bond movies. It is very Rambo 3. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it, it ends with the, hey, we're going to help out the Taliban because they're our friends at this point in history, right? Yeah. So it, it's just one of those like, okay, did it age well? No. But at the same time, I it just, I don't know. It. Dalton's movies were were short and good. Yeah. Not short and good. They were good. Short and it's best that he was done after two. Okay. <laughs> well, I have this at 16. And you know what? Driving on ice and sledding down a hill in a cello case does it for me. I, I have a good time with this one. So my ranking similar to Fry's, but I, I'm a little more affectionate to it than he is i do like the bond girl of miriam uh, diabo in this one and I, I like that we see a softer side of timothy dalton in here he loses that in the next movie that he does so um, i i like this one this is a good first outing for timothy chad yeah i 
think it's his best movie and I do like Mariam Diabo's uh Cara Malovi. I like the cello cellist assassin. I the scenes with her are probably my favorite in the movie. Yeah, we help a group that splinters. They don't all become the Taliban. There's quite a few that become the resistance, but yeah, the Mujahideen, I can't pronounce it. Dumb American. Mujahideen. Yes. Some of them do go on to become the Taliban, so there's that problem. But uh, yeah. yeah. Toby, this is your number 11 movie. What do you think about The Living Daylights? Again, I think it's a great soundtrack. It was John Barry's last soundtrack. And I think it's it really helps the the film along. Uh, I don't love the romantic angle of it. I think that's a bit sort of schmaltzy, and I think the villains are a bit weak, to be honest. I I like the idea of the the main villain, the arms dealer, and the fact that he's a failed army guy who goes into uh, arms dealing, but you don't see him enough. He's only got something like five minutes of screen time. And as Fry pointed out, he was really a CIA agent the whole yeah, time. Yeah, all along. <laughs> I know. That's the best. Not the same character, but same actor. Bond does that. You know, Charles Gray is in You Only Live Twice, and then he comes back as Diamonds Love, uh, Diamonds Are Forever, because uh, he had facial surgery. A remarkably convincing facial surgery. <laughs> so He's better as Jack Wade. Yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, no, I completely agree. He, he, he was the uh, quintessential... I don't do the James Bond spy stuff. I'm the background, just letting you know what's going on spy stuff. Yep. All right. Our number 10 movie is Live and Let Die. So kicking this one off is going to be me. I love this movie. I I know uh, I enjoyed the boat chase scene. I enjoy the, I want to say the Baron Siamity. Uh I wouldn't say henchman necessarily, but this, this mysterious character. I wish we could have spent more time with him. He's awesome. And yeah, and this is one of my favorite Bond girls. Solitaire is so cool. Roger Moore's doing his first outing here. Some people criticize this one as saying he hasn't found his voice for the character yet, and that he's just doing what Connery would have done, but he is Roger Moore doing those things. I don't know about all that, but for me, love the opening uh, soundtrack song, and uh, it is a weak cold open. I will give you that. Everything else from that cold open on is awesome. So. I think they were just delaying showing you Roger's face for that cold open. Who? Let's see, Toby, you have this at number 18, and you're the low voter on this one. Yeah, they, they hold off on showing you Roger, and then you see him trying to hide a, a girl he's shagging from M, even though they're all adults. So surely they could just sort of <laughs> have a conversation about it. <laughs> which is a scene which just gets stranger and stranger uh, and more perfunctory <laughs> as I get older. Um, I, think... I don't know it seemed to work for me but now that you mention it you made it weird <laughs> maybe it speaks to the audience more than the character I think there's a lot of there's a lot of fun I love just browsing thank you uh, could you gift wrap it for me <laughs> um, but I think it's a film where one twelfth of it subsists of an incredibly boring boat chase that just goes on and on and I always oh. I always skip it oh <laughs> doesn't end jake you you you're the next one up at uh, you have this one at number 14 cars are doing barrel rolls in this movie does it make you happy yeah i'm like i think that it is kind of boring too and i, I really don't think that they flesh out the, the villain that great you know i will give it to solitaire i think that that's a great character and stuff but i i always found it kind of boring good opening song 
I, I actually was wondering if it was the one with the barrel roll because it doesn't have that like that hokey cop comes back in another yeah. one. Sheriff Jane Pickens, boy. Yeah, oh, God. That's gun. Gun. crazy. Even as a kid, I knew that was like too hokey. So yeah, so that's where my lack of love. Another good look for America. that's us you know toby's gonna get off and i got on four i got uh, i got off a podcast with four guys that are just like sheriff jw pickens (laughs) (laughs) you know i've watched that i've watched the movie man with a golden gun enough that i feel like i probably could do an entire podcast as pickens (laughs) (laughs) not without getting fired for racial Hate crimes against people, Louis. Chad, you, you earlier said uh, you liked the movie for being less racist, but this one's a little more racist, but you have this one up at number 12, so some, there's some inconsistency here. So uh, you like this one. I, I, I feel like this is probably culturally insensitive. I, it's not as obvious as the other one. There's not blatant black face in this, like there is yellow face in the other one. Uh, so yay for that. It does have a black guy wearing a mask of another black guy. Is that okay? I, I don't. I don't know. You I'm just a dude <laughs> playing a dude, pretending to be another dude. Just another dude. Yeah, I am. Uh, I am practically clear. So you're asking the wrong person here. But I like the voodoo aspect of this. I like Kananga. Baron Samdi's cool, and even the ending. Solitaire is one of the best Bond women. So yeah, everything about this movie works for me. Bus chasing before Keanu Reeves too. Fry, you have this one even higher. You're you're closer to my camp on this one. You have it at number nine. This movie fascinated me. I had no idea of the kind of culture uh, down there in Louisiana, and this actually sprung into life so many different things. I'm a huge James Lee Burke reader now, due to this movie. I literally went through a phase where I was just reading all I could about voodoo because I thought it was a very fascinating religion. And uh, yeah, I completely credit this with, with opening my eyes to a different culture. So, you know, you could cry racism for some of the stuff on it, but I would say as a, as a white male, like I would say it, it introduced me to understanding other cultures more. Well, yeah, so uh, number nine, IMDb rankings would have this one towards the bottom, but we as a collective here seem to like this one. This is The Man with the Golden Gun. Now, Chad, you have this one all the way up number two, and maybe this is what's pulling the rankings up higher. Tell us why you love this one. <laughs> For all the reasons that other people are going to criticize, you know, there there are plenty of legitimate criticisms. I I love The Golden Gun. And the fact it's Christopher Lee wielding it is just, it's fantastic. Mr. Scaramanga, I, I like Knickknack. I like the mirror scene. We get that throughout other movies. Yeah, just everything in this works for me. Even the bad parts, even the sheriff, the slide whistle, the pigeon double take, you know, all, all of that, I'm still ranking it number two. Now, Toby, you're going to be the counterpoint on this one as well. So uh, how do you feel about the man with the golden gun? You have this at 21. 21, yeah, because two words, slide whistle. Yep. (laughs) You know, someone redubbed that with the Bond theme instead of the slide whistle. Like when the car hit, the Bond theme kicked in. Yeah, it was amazing. It's so much better. I've seen that. No, when I hear slide whistles, I think of the pop song from like the early 90s called Groove is in the Heart. And then, then immediately afterwards, I think of this this scene. But <laughs> no, 
Toby. They sabotage their good work. It's so annoying. They went to such extremes to get that shot and then they ruined it. But it, it's such a brilliant concept. Uh, Christopher Lee is a fantastic villain. And uh, the idea of him and Bond as two assassins just trying to take each other out is great. And they don't do anything with it. And they completely waste it. And then they start going on about energy. And he's like, oh, I'm the leading, uh, whatever. I put the most money into solar energy in the world. And you're like, okay, that sort of came out of nowhere. You say that, but Elon Musk is so going to be a Scaramanga. <laughs> oh, no, I think he's going to be Drax. Oh, that's true. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that's Bezor. Bezorin, he's in a bunch of different industries. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. That actually, Is he a Nazi baby, though? Yeah, that's, that's oh, man, all good points there. <laughs> Jake, you have this one at 18. While I'm chewing on who Elon Musk is about to become, tell us what your thoughts are of the man with the golden gun. I, I think that, it was, you know, when I was thinking about this, so this is what, Maude Adams first of the three that she was in, correct? Yes. Because she makes a cameo in View to a Kill, yeah. right? So I I think that it's, it's okay, but it does have, like, a little bit of the not enough, like, not enough hoke for Rushmore and a little bit of like a slower pace. However, Christopher Lee's awesome. And I really wish though, that they flushed out his villain. Like, if they redid this, it could make it really mysterious and kind of awesome with like a creepier henchman sidekick type thing. You, you know what I'm saying? Like it's creepier than a third nipple. that maybe is like the turn off i guess but yeah i just i think that it was sort of like slow and but i i feel like that the villain wasn't as compelling to me i think so that's probably why it's so well i felt like the villain high fat needed a brother who was a good guy named low fat but that was my opinion (laughs) (laughs) So cry racism and let slip the dogs of war. <laughs> Number ten, we have Enter the Dragon meeting James Bond here. We've got a room, we've got a showdown in a room full of mirrors. We've got a sequestered island with an eccentric, mysterious villain. It's it's all wonderful stuff here. I love this movie. Nick Knack is a great henchman. We haven't brought him up, him up yet, and I I really think that Roger is really awesome here in this one i know that they say he hasn't found his voice in these earlier movies but i i love it it you know the only thing that i will say that keeps this from being up higher than me the bond girl mary goodnight played by Britt eckland she's a little too ditzy and i i just got done saying jill st john is all good with me and diamonds are forever but this is not that movie this doesn't feel like diamonds are forever and Britt eckland belongs in diamonds are forever whereas this needs a better this needs a better bond girl how uh, dare you? <laughs> so, um, yeah. So anyway, that's my take on this one. It, it, it's my number ten movie, and it could be even even higher. But I mean, one of my favorite quotes of all of Bond movie is, uh, you know, uh, Christopher Lee demanding knick knack Tabasco sauce. <laughs> Fry, uh, you have this one at number eight. You like it even more than I do. I love the idea that he was constantly having knickknack try to kill him. Like that was yes. one of the, that like you want to talk about, like I go down, I run three miles on a treadmill. I lift some weights and then I go on about my day. This dude has his number one guy, hire professional killers to come to his, to his Island and test him 
to kill him. Like, you want to talk about a workout routine that works for you? Jeez. I mean, I remember thinking this is the most hardcore stuff you could get. So I, I remember watching it and just being like, gosh, that's nuts. And then the fact that you know, Roger Moore basically lives through most of this movie at the acquiescence of Scaramanga saying, I want a real one-on-one -on -one with him. He could have killed him anytime he wanted to, which if you're an assassin, I mean, this is something that can only happen from a Bond movie. If you're an assassin, you're just like, oh, dude, I'm going to take an easy shot. Like, bam, done. No, he wanted that like real man-to-man -man piece. Now, obviously, that's the one inept guard fallacy but still like it just that was a drawing allure to this was the fact that it's like i think this guy's my match not only do i know who you are but i have a replica of you and i've been training to kill you he also has a replica of cowboys that pop out from like a pinball game <laughs> i assume that these were I, th I feel like yosemite sam was one of his other fierce opponents that he was looking to test next <laughs> but I also like the ha the fact that they use the theme song in the Western jaunty that plays during, yeah, during that sequence. So it was a very uh, Westworld piece there way before that was a thing. It's true. It's true. Uh, all right. So we're going to move up to George Lazenby's first, last and only movie and uh, the most cummerbunds of any Bond movie. Number eight on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Toby, you have this one at number three. Tell us why you love it. Because uh, it makes me cry. It I does. Um, I think George Lazenby wouldn't really have worked in any other Bond movie. He's too soft. But he works really well here as this sort of lovelorn Bond who's smitten by this woman who's even more emotionally damaged than he is, which is quite a feat for a functioning human being. And I think the, the music is fantastic. I think the directing is brilliant is directed by peter hunt who edited a lot of the movies and he really knew what he was doing in terms of uh the action you've got skiing which is great it feels like a proper epic telly savalas is far and away the best blowfeld but he's he also so holds cool. a cigarette worse than anybody else oh, but i find that so cool because he's it's weird and you're like that's so off-putting and that's right for blowfeld i like the fact that he has that weird mannerism where you just go that's a bit gnarly and yeah, he's just, he's really, he's simultaneously very creepy and a bit sexy. And I like that. I really like it. So yeah, it's number three for me. Yeah. Uh, nobody said this one was too down on the list. So Jake, you're, you have it at lowest at 17, but that's not that low. Yeah. I, I think that it, 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 this, this is the whole thing with me. Like the, the slower paced ones are a little, a little lower and but everything, you know, like Lazenby's great. I actually have been to that rotating restaurant in Switzerland. You know, when I went oh, there for to for it. Yeah, oh. it, but I don't think that that's the name of it. I think it's kind of like Shelthorn or something like that. I forget. Is that? Yeah. I don't know if that's like. Uh, but it's like I whenever I was it's in Switzerland, but, right? But it's not. Yeah, but it's not. And I went. I like hiked up the mountain just because I was like, oh, this is. You know, and you put it at seventeen. How dare you! <laughs> I know, I know, but like, you I, made the I, and, and you like went out on the, you went out on like the lift cable lines by hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. It no, but I just, I just, I just think it's, I just think it's slower. 
right? And that's it. And it's a different story. And maybe it just didn't sit well with me. But like, I think, you know, Kelly Savalas is great. And I it just, it, but, but it, it, it's just not as high as some of the other ones for particular reasons. Be honest, you needed more Ruby in it, didn't you? Mm. <laughs> 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 All right, uh, number fi- number fourteen is uh, on your list. Fry, tell us about Under Majesty's Secret Service. I thought this was a really solid movie. It, I do understand the the contempt that it gets at times, and it's almost a movie you could take out of the the Bond canon and just have as a standalone. But I don't think that's a knock. I feel like that's a, a a positive to say that they literally made a world around this one guy playing Bond. So I grew up in a really world of discontent with George Lazenby's Bond. And then when I finally actually had the opportunity to watch it, because it wasn't something that was wildly played, like when they did 007 uh, Days of Bond for Christmas, they never played this movie. So it was... It was almost like the uh, censorship, like, we're not even going to show you this. So by the time I actually got my hands on it and watched it, I was like, really? Like, this was this contemptualized, and I honestly, it it's not a bad movie. No, no. I mean, uh, Chad, you're, you're going to be next on this list. You have this one at number 11. Does luging and bobsledding and skiing get it done for you? For me, it's back to what Toby said it's Blowfield, and if we really think about it it's a ridiculous plot he plans on destroying the world's agriculture through an army of hypnotized women the uh, hot women bacteria. though i mean <laughs> hot women can yeah. accomplish anything when they put their mind to it <laughs> yes yes these are these are the fembots before the fembots but yeah yeah <laughs> I, I like the true nemesis and not in the random oh this makes no sense specter kind of way but telly savalas's blowfield here he's he's a threat for me the compelling part of this really centers around blowfield and the conflict with bond yeah yeah and i i'm gonna be here in the middle i have this at number 12 and I love so much. Diana Rigg is so good. And I, I do like those tender moments with James Bond. And there's no there's no movie that does it better than this. And I have to say that the showdown at the end is very, very exciting. So it, it starts a little slow to Jake's point. But I think it's backloaded with, with a lot of really good action in there. And I think this movie would be higher for me if we had good Connery. But we just came off of You Only Live Twice where we said Connery was kind of phoning it in. And so if we were going to get that Connery, I don't think that I think it's probably for the best that we did get George Lazenby. That's what I always say. Now, if you told me you can give me Thunder, if you could give me Thunderball Connery or if you could give me Goldfinger Connery, uh, then I'd be really interested to see what he would have done with this. But knowing where we were at this point in time, I actually think to Fry's point, maybe this shouldn't have been panned so hard. I think it might have been the right man for the right job at the right time. And he handed it off quickly. And perhaps that was also for the best. Yeah, as soon as I saw this movie, I never understood the hatred for it. I, it, it was really confounding to me. Yeah. I think it's because uh, George Lazenby, they felt like he spurned the franchise. Well, this you never know. happened to the other guy. That's. <laughs> <laughs> so number seven on our countdown is going to be From Russia with Love. Chad, you really like this one. You have this one at number three. Tell us why you love it. 
I do. It's probably my favorite novel of all the Bond films, but as far as movies, yeah, it's right up there. I particularly like Rosa Klebb. I like the Smirsh angle. Fun locations. Ali in Turkey is a lot of fun. Getting early Robert Shaw appearance with Red Grant. All of the characters in this just work so well. The story is just engaging. There's nothing about this movie that it was hard not to put it number one for me. Just just some nostalgia on other movies uh, kept it at number three. Oh, the train scene at the end, man, is so good. But uh, yes, you know who might not have thought this was so good? Jake. Jake has this at 24. Yes, my my foil. Oh. Of course. I'm like, I'm the opposite. Yeah, I, I, I just, I find the thing boring. Like, to the, to, to the core. I don't know how else to say it. Like, I, I don't know if it was just sort of, like, coming in with the the Conneries and the Thunderball and, and maybe just the, that, that. But, yeah, I, I never can get into this. I just don't, I, I, I don't know why. And even though it is probably arguably like the best book, because I've read a couple of them and the, I've like loved it. I just don't know why I I, I can't get into the movie. I'm, I, I don't know why. You, sir, do not appreciate flare guns. That's that's your problem. <laughs> that's it probably. is probably the most spy centric of all the Bond movies. And if that's not what you love about James Bond, the, the espionage, it's going to get hurt in the ratings. Toby, you have this at 13. Tell us about it. I love the mood of it, you know. I love uh, the 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 tone and this is this sort of really romantic adventure through uh, Istanbul and the uh, Orient Express, um, and it and it captures that romanticism of the early Connery films that I really love. I do agree that it's it's just a bit boring at times. I don't really buy his relationship with Tanya. She's a bit of a melt. Um, oh. I I love Connery though. He's he's brilliant in the role in this one but there were just times when i'm like uh yeah yeah whatever and i know that probably makes me very uncultured oh. karim Bay's great you just don't understand british culture no i'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's gonna be it uh, <laughs> all right fry what about you you have this at seven uh, this was another movie that really got me interested in learning about other people because I started reading up on gypsy culture heavily after seeing this. That was one of the things where when I saw it, I was like, man, this is why I watch Bond movies. Like it introduces you to a lot. Now, does it always do it correctly? Absolutely not. But at least it's there. At least it's you know trying in that effect. Does it fall flat? Sure. But this was a really entertaining movie to me from, from start to finish. I mean, it was a cross-double-cross piece where they're, like, luring this girl out, but it's not really the Russians doing it. It's Spectre doing it. And there, was, there were so many moving pieces to this that made it a shaky aspect. And then the British, you know, quote-unquote arrogance piece saying, like, oh, of course it's a trap. Let's do it. So it's... It, that's a fun thing. I mean, that's... that. That's one of the things that made Bond so Cold War relevant. Like that's that is where this film franchise really thrived was during that time period. So I, yeah, I loved it. I love it as well. I think uh, I, I'm not quite with Toby on that, and I, I love Tatiana's character on this one. And I just I like everybody's 
going for this piece that this, this uh, I guess it's a MacGuffin, if you will. Like, we don't really care what it does, but it's this piece that everybody wants. And a lot of interesting people want that. So it has a it has probably one of the most rich set of side characters. And whether it be Rosa Klebb and Red Grant, the villains in this one are phenomenal. And Ebert wasn't quite really right when he said this. He said Bond is only as good as the villains he's up against. But there's some truth to that. And I want to say that this movie, he's got great villains. And it makes for a great movie. I love it very exciting finish so we're gonna go from there we're gonna go to number six dr no and toby you have this one at your number four you're the high voter for this one the one that started it all connery's majestically good in this movie and he just gets it absolutely from the off i find it uh very tense I find it the most like sort of spy movie-ish he's nice and invested in it going back to what somebody else was saying about um introducing you to other cultures i like to imagine myself in 1962 seeing jamaica and how much of an escape this must have been and that's why people fell in love with james bond so much is because he let you see corners of the world that people just weren't exposed to um at that point in history and i just think it's it's got such a sort of magical aspect to it being set where it is and I think the villain's great. He's so intimidating. And, and the little snatches you see of him with Professor Dent beforehand are really intimidating. It's great. But he doesn't get buried in seagull poo, which is uh, a deviation <laughs> from the novels, which I don't enjoy. Uh, well, yes. And uh, Jake, you might not have enjoyed this one as much as some of the others here. You have this one at low point uh, at 19. But I think it's just probably probably. I'm going to keep going back to the pace. But I do think that he's an incredible villain. And the end is great. I like I like the culmination of it. I think it's fun. It's just like kind of the, the lead up to it. And I think that, you know, when I, I think when somebody said earlier about like the espionage piece of it, that that actually rings true. I think that I like the, less of the espionage and more of the like, you know, action thing. So it, that's sort of where it is. So that's. Probably well, that, that would explain that. Yeah, yeah. This this movie is about tense and, and uh, suspense, and and not so much about you know, right action per exactly. se. Three blind mice see the wrong. Three <laughs> blind mice. <laughs> That's my favorite version of Three Blind Mice. In fairness, so, but try you have this one. Every the, time I hear it, every time I hear it, yeah, this I is what I think of. <laughs> try number ten for you. Tell us about it. I, I wish I had kept track in some tangible way of the way I watched these movies versus how they were released, because I feel like that would be really impactful for this. I, I feel like I saw Dr. No very late and I do feel like I saw it somewhere in the ballpark of the penguin with Batman when he's crushing stuff with his little robo claws. Like I remember like thinking about Danny DeVito and I don't know if that's because I saw that's this really movie again association, man. In, <laughs> in the ballpark, and I was like, I've got my robot hands. I don't know that the, it just seemed weird. I was like, okay, now hold a pen and write in cursive. Ha 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 ha. You can't like, I just, I comedified if that, is a willing term for everyone. Like I, I made a lot of jokes about this villain. 
I did. I, I made a lot of jokes about this villain. It's probably after the first time I saw it, so it's not the gravity that I saw it in the first time. But I did enjoy the, you know, the genesis aspect of it, the, you know, how they wove together a spy movie, especially given that he's coming down to figure out what happened to one of his colleagues. And I enjoyed the, you know, the intro piece where they're talking about, you know, an assassin could be really anyone. So it's a, it's a good movie. It's, it's, it's the start of all of this. But there are parts of it that I objectified negatively heavily throughout my life. And I'm going to follow you up. I had this one in my number eight, and it's the one that started it all. I mean, this is just entrenched in iconic things. Having said that, I would have thought this would have been higher up for me. But when I really stop and think about it, Q is not on board yet. The notion of his relationship with M, there's a formula that I take a lot of comfort in with a Bond movie, and it's not fully fleshed out yet. And so there's a movement that you gain from this and it is a little bit slower. I still love it. It is, it is more spy like and the Genesis component of it makes me love it. It has got one of the greatest bond women. I love the underground base for Dr. No. So the environments that they get put you into with his big fish tank behind him, there is visually so much richness to this one. I can't believe I don't have as hired eights. It's just, this shows you how much I love this franchise. Chad, what about you? Number six. Yeah, the hidden base and just the kickoff of the franchise for me definitely earns it high rankings. I'm going to give it up for a flamethrower tank, pretty much disintegrating coral. Yeah. It's a dragon. Yes. It's a dragon, Chad. Yes. It's a dragon. <laughs> Don't you know a dragon when you see one? Yes. Yeah, come on. It's a dragon. Yes. Worst disguise ever. It's a dragon. But but yeah, uh, this movie, I, I think if you were introducing it, I'd, I would avoid introducing someone new to the bond franchise to dr no first i completely agree i think the pacing isn't well suited for modern audiences we just don't have the attention span as well but it it's a great piece to go all right now i want to dig into bond more or i want to figure out where it got started so yeah no cue but we do get the walter ppk and we don't even have the vodka martini shaken not stirred yet so we're just getting started. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, we were talking about naughty names of the ladies. I feel like his on-again, off-again girlfriend that they have in these first two movies, her name is Sylvia Trench. I feel like that could be the worst of all the girls' names. <laughs> Dr. Goodhead? I mean... Yeah, that's pretty bad. So, uh... Hey, that's, no, that, that's going to her positive... I think Trench is not going to yeah. hurt. <laughs> no, no I, 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 I was going to say, it, it, it's it's definitely one of those, it's like, <laughs> man, it's 1962, guys, turn it down. <laughs> so, um, number five here, the spy who loved me. Uh, nobody does it better, so says Fry. You have this one at number four. This was one of those movies that I watched and I was like, okay, I got a lot of bond from this but i also got a lot of better than it should have been i mean that from a cinematic standpoint like there was a lot of value added to this movie that you don't get in a normal bond movie i was really really honestly shocked at how they in a time where bond movies were more formulaic and how they went about things like it started off with status quo, but by the end of the movie, I was like, wow, that was, it, it sets itself apart. 
It is a great one. Now, uh, Toby, you, you you don't have this one too low. 17 is the lowest ranking on this one, so you still like this one, it looks like. Yeah, I do. It's, um, it's a lot of fun to revisit. I think there are, there are pacing issues uh, throughout it. I don't think Barbara Back can act. That might be sacrilege to say, but she's very wooden. She might have gotten the role on her looks. It's just a theory. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know why you'd suspect that. Um, but, but Roger is carrying it, and he carries it very well. But you know, the plot's not the most engaging thing, and the villain. Although I like his first scene with the shark tank and him killing his girlfriend, and then the two lakeys. He doesn't really do much after that, except be a bit creepy and have Tabasco sauce with his oysters. So I I feel like this one. Oh, you're right. That's another Tabasco sauce reference. Yeah, yeah. they love it. But broccoli was crazy for it. But it, it I I like it. But I don't know. The early Roger Moore films don't do it for me as much as the later ones do. Interesting. Yeah. Now, uh, moving moving up, Chad, you have this at number eight. I might have thought you would have had this higher as a, as a hardcore Moore fan. I love it. Yeah. And I, I'll go to bat for Barbara Bach. I think it's fine. But yeah, Agent Triple X, which is a ridiculous name. Yeah. Who, <laughs> who would name their Agent Triple X and then make an entire movie on it? Until Vin Diesel. Yeah. Or franchise. Yes. Yeah, we went with Porn Star or Vin Diesel or Ice Cube. You see the one that took over after Vin Diesel? Yeah, completely derailing here, but... Yeah, Ice Cube was there too. Bottom line, we have Jaws. Again, I'm a simple man. Give me a large metal man with metal... Or large man with metal teeth. I'm down for it. Underwater bass is a bonus. Uh, beautiful women, Carolyn Monroe, who plays Naomi, Barbara Bach. This is everything you'd want in a Bond film. It is. Yeah. And a car that drives underwater on top of that one. I mean, this this is to me the peak of Roger Moore. I just I love I love this one. This is so fun. And I think it balances all the fantastics with the the romance slash the Cold War aspect of the Russian side of things, the espionage. I think this is one of the best balanced movies across the board. It's got some awesome skiing in the beginning. And I'll be honest with you, I have a soft spot in my heart for this one because it's the number two movie that I ever got to. I watched GoldenEye first, and then this was the very next movie that I got. And uh, I probably made a big, big impact on me just based on that. So uh, I actually didn't get to Sean Connery until, I don't know, probably about four or five movies into it. So early going... This was, this was a very early impression for me for what the Bond template was. And so just by virtue of the order that I watched them, this one stands out. But I can honestly say it is legitimately really good. So, Jake, you have this one at number seven, very similar. I, I think that this has probably, if you're not really paying attention, like it has a lot of good like environments and places it goes. There's that weird Egypt scene. Remember where like Jaws is like chasing through and like fights that guy. And it so kind of goes all over the place. But um, the Lotus is just awesome. The beginning with the skiing is just that actually I feel like is probably one of the best openings for it's like just mm. classic, classic. And the like gun in the ski pole, like it's just great. 
Great did, stuff. Oh, I yeah. do need a gun in my ski pole for sure. Yeah, like, I do. Like, yeah, for you sure. You can definitely cue us up for, for if you if you the listeners want to know what to get us for Christmas. I mean, Chad, Fry, myself, we we are big skiers. Get us guns and ski poles. We will love you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go up to number four on our countdown. Moving up to the tippy top here, we have Casino Royale. This is Daniel Craig's first movie and Toby's first movie in his rankings. Toby, tell us why this is your favorite Bond movie. Well, it was the first... I suspect I'm the youngest person here. I don't know why I'd think that. But I, it was the first Bond movie I ever saw in cinemas. And it just um, it blew me away. I already loved... I already owned half the movies on DVD. But it was the... The vulnerability of him, the brutality of it. I think the the torture scene is one of the is the most effective torture scene in the franchise. And in terms of showing us how Bond became this sort of machine, this cold clinical killing machine that we know him as, I don't think there's a better origin story. Yes, thank you, thank you. Toby, I've noticed I noticed with your like of license to kill and now Casino Royale and its bald torture, I feel like you 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 like a little bit of uh, you like a little <laughs> bit of grit and toughness in your movies. So I like a bit of masochism with my bond. Though. Yeah. I just now put the, I just now connected some dots there. So uh, I mean hey It also shows it, it it also shows how he can bone so much and not have any kids. <laughs> it's true. I'm, I, oh gosh! The sex to me by Le Chiffre. This this hasn't happened to me in a while, but I'll be the low man on the totem pole in this one. I have this one at 17, and I don't mean to bring everybody's fun down, but this one just didn't feel as Bond-ish to me. And I understand that they're resetting things after Die Another Day. It got too fantastic for most viewers, and they took the car keys away from Pierce Brosnan. I was sad to see him taken away from us so soon. I wish we had gotten some more time with him, but Craig's first movie is a big style change, and they are putting a lot of emphasis on story writing here and a lot more information, a lot more emphasis on character. So this is the first time we really get into how James Bond is feeling, and honestly, it doesn't feel real good because it's pretty heavy stuff. I mean... There's a great card. I love, we haven't talked a lot about card scenes and gambling scenes. This is, this is some of the best card action that we see Bond get mm-hmm. into. And uh, that, that, that poker scene is really good for me. So don't take my 17 as a huge knock. And while I, I, Craig's not my favorite, this is still a good movie. And Ava Green too, by the way. So, yeah. <laughs> Enough said. Yeah. So uh, hot. Fry, continue. So Casino Royale, might be the quintessential Bond movie for me had I been born 10 years later. It was such a compelling film on really like having that background and having seen all the Bond movies leading up to it. And then them like the hot thing at the time was rebooting films. So I understood the angle that they were going for starting off with that movie. And it was phenomenal. Like, even how they intricately wove in his drink where he's like ordering this martini, this just outlandishly difficult. Like it's like someone walking up asking for like a, a non fat half calf macchiato or something. And he's just like, yeah. And then literally progressing that to, would you like it shaken or stirred, stirred, sir? Do you think I give a damn? Like, like it was, it was great because he didn't have that reflection. Refinement yet. 
Like he wasn't there yet. And then by Spectre, he had refined that smooth criminal aspect of his, of his persona. And I nod to Casino Royale because they, they took an undertaking of saying, okay, we've got this rough cut piece and we've got to shuttle him on, but we have to, to, to leave those little landmarks for people to take up on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Chad, you have this one very close to Fry. You have this one at number four. Yeah. For all the reasons we've covered, great card scenes. My my concern for this movie, and this is going to sound like a weird criticism, but we're trying to make Bond, like Bond movies, good. And before, it was just we're trying to make Bond movies fun. And we're taking away some of the toys here. It's a very stripped-down Bond. So Craig's entire portrayal it, it misses some of the fun and i know russell you harp on it far more than i do so it, that saddens me a little bit and the happiness scene at the very end like 30 minutes of just he's on a boat celebrating with vesper was very very strange but the entire cast here is just fantastic i agree with fry if if i were younger this would probably be the bond that we go to much like it is for Toby. So uh, Jake, you have this one at number three. You're, you're really up. You really have it high up there as well. Yeah. I, I, I yeah, I agree with what everybody is saying. Um, it's interesting because I think like for me in the rankings and sort of listening to everyone, it's like hokey factor and fun weighs heavily, but also kind of a serious, can you do it factor? And I like like the uh, the diamond in the rough type of thing, where because like there's a there's a part in like you were saying about how awesome the card scene is, where he like leaves and beats someone up and then comes back and he's like transformed. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it was like almost in that moment he arcs into a different mode. He's like not as brash. He's still unrefined, but then like arrives at. Bond. Does, it, does that make sense? You know, okay, he leaves the card game and comes back, right? Like, that's, that's really wonderful. Yeah. That's a lot like what Brian was saying, yeah. Well, no, 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 I'll actually say that I, I think that the refinement is there based on his background and schooling and everything, like that whole piece where he goes back and forth with Vesper Lynn on, on you know, where he came from and everything. I, I, I think he, the thing that is so cool about Bond is the fact that he is a, you know, he's a chimera. Like, he can morph into whatever is is needed of him at the time, and his his timing on how he morphs is impeccable. Like, that's really what gives him that swagger, because he can be like, oh, we're here, okay, well, I can, I can phase into this in a moment, and that's what makes him an expert spy. Absolutely. And so from Daniel Craig movie to other Daniel Craig movie, this is Craig's highest entry on these rankings. This is Skyfall. So this is from 2012. And Jake, you have this at your number two. Why don't you tell us about this one? I think as far as just, and, and people are like not liking the interlinking of the, the Craig, but I kind of do like it. And the sort of passing the from the origin of him and family and things like that and kind of that where he came from and 
that that I really like that. The other thing, too, I think I really like. I mean, this is. I'm trying to think. This is the one where he's at the, the the cold opening is with a motorcycle, right? Am I correct with that? With the bridge. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Incredible. It's like great. What else is it like? Javier Bardem, fantastic. The one thing I will say, and you know, and there's so much more to talk about with this one because I really, really like it. The part where M is reciting her husband's poem or Tennyson's poem to mm. the, the the ministry is really, really well done, and it's worth going over watching it because it's just like about like the cleverness and like kind of the juxtaposition of like you know we're, we're are we antiquated or do you need us i i like really like that and so that's kind of uh it's one of my favorites great choice there and fry you also have this at number 2 that point you're talking about like ralph finds being there and witnessing the judy dench piece for me the message they sent me at the end of skyfall is that finds is the m that you see for the rest of Bond. Yeah. Yeah. And Judy Dench is truly the best thing that ever happened to Bond. The reason that my one-two punch is what it is is because Judy Dench was so impactful in a small role with the Bond movies. But her point in Skyfall still gives me shivers because her, like, there might not be a better actress in my book than Judy Dench. Okay, okay. So Britt Eklund, not on Judy Dench's <laughs> acting level. <laughs> All right, Toby, you have this one at number 14. You have the lowest vote on this one. As a Craig fan, I'm surprised by this. What, what, what keeps this one from being higher for you? I've always felt like this one, I never really got why everyone loved it as much as they did. I've I've always enjoyed it, don't get me wrong. I think it is a technically a very well-made film. I'm never bored. I'm always enjoying myself. But I just feel like the the it doesn't all really tie together as much as I'd like it to in terms of Bond's arc. I feel like Bond is a bit of an afterthought thought in it to the fact that he's left swimming in a frozen lake at the end while Javier Bardem and M you know those are the two who really have the strong relationship and I feel like Bond isn't at the center of the film as much as I need him to be for it to be in my top 10. I really like this movie but that's a really valid point by the way. Thank you. Can I can I speak to that for a second? No. I think (laughs) I, I, I I I think Judy Dench's M is very pragmatic. Like she runs her ship a certain way. And if you're expecting some sort of extra treatment, you don't get it. And bond being left in the lake is exactly on character. Like he could have been dead. He could have not. She put her trust in the person best able to do the job by her, you know, by her opinion. And in the end, yeah, she gets messed up, but who won? I'll tell you who won. Chad wins because he's coming in next because this is his number seven movie. What do you think about it? I don't think Toby's going to want me as an ally here, but I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say it. This movie kind of has Raiders of the Lost Ark syndrome. You mean it's awesome? We're <laughs> Bond's unimportant to the outcome. Like, 
it it's a beautiful movie i love raw Raul Silva, Javier Bardem's awesome, Ralph Fiennes, getting him in. But it's not about Bond. Like, it's it's a two-plus-hour M story. So, for me, it's, it's beautiful, it's a great movie, but it gets hurt by those factors. So, it comes in at number seven for me. Wow. Yeah, Judy Dench, I like her so much in this one. She, in a way, is the Bond girl of the movie and she Mm -hmm. does steal the show, but she's so good. So I like it. The showdown at the mansion at the end is amazing. The throwbacks and the nostalgia to the Aston Martin, the fan service is in high effect here, but we have a really formidable villain here and the action's good. And some of my criticisms of Bond, uh, you know, not having the gadgets, not having the cue, not having the barrel, uh, the barrel sights at the beginning that, you know, shoots and the blood comes down it and stuff like that. I feel like Skyfall is starting to bring back the things that I love about Bond. And in, so some of my sour reactions to Quantum of Solace in particular, but also to some degree of Casino Royale that kept me from fully wrapping my arms around it. Skyfall comes along and this makes me go like, OK, I'm back. I'm, I'm back completely on board. And by the way, Adele's opening song is amazing. Yep, it is indeed. I want to I want to speak to two things here real quick with Chad. Yes, Bond takes a backseat as a primary to what is happening, but he is the continuity that makes it happen. So he's the interior rope to an exterior cylinder for the movie because of that, because of, of that, like you can't beat him in a way that drives forward specter. And then now no time to die. So number two on our countdown is going to be GoldenEye. And I have this one at my number one. And this is the movie that made me fall in love with it. The video game came out and I fell in love with the video game. And then I went back and watched the movie. And the movie blew my mind as a 12-year-old boy who had... I probably should have gotten this sooner. But everything was in full effect. I mean, it was so exciting. The action was there. The globe trotting, The espionage. It was just so amazing. And this is what made me fall in love with this franchise. And it has everything. Famke Janssen's uh, Xenia Anatop's amazing. As well as, you know, 006, the Alex Trevelyan character. It's just so good. And few things make me as happy as driving a tank through Russia you know, and plastering down through walls and stuff like that. Laser watches, Boris uh, going, I am invincible. Like we have such great characters in this one. I can't think of a better way to start your tenure as Bond. And I'm sad Pierce's legacy is perhaps so mixed because Goldeneye really shows you how good he was. Um, Fry, you have this one at your number one as well. Yes, to a lot of that, and and basically all of that. I mean, this was a quintessential Bond movie for me. It wasn't just an intro Bond movie. It was like, if I look back at what really, the elements that made Bond special, you had that Cold War aspect. Like, we talked earlier about that train sequence, the train sequence on the bullet train with Sean Bean. Sean Bean was an amazing character in this as a anti-agent. Judy Dench gets introduced as M, which I've already said is that was amazing. Like every piece of this Alan Cummings character as the hacker was, I mean, it was, that was an iconic role. Like Alan Cummings, like I have literally, I've read both of his uh, biographies since then based on the fact that I watched Goldeneye and loved it. So 
I can't gush enough about this movie because the aspects that that wove it together, the initial part of how I saw it, but also what it's the echoes of what has made this more important in the future. Yeah, it drives a motorcycle off a cliff. It's just amazing. Yeah. And, and, and that's not even counting how many hours I spent on N64 Goldeneye. So I'm leaving that part out. I'm just talking about the movie. Yes. Now, Jake, you I think you're you're the low voter on this one. So you are the pen grenade in our coolant tanks. Tell us what, <laughs> why this is why you're the low voter at 13 on this one. I think, you know, I don't I'm I don't really love Brodman, I guess now that I'm like looking at it and thinking about it. Uh, honestly, I, I do think that after St. Petersburg, it kind of comes apart a little bit. I, I I think it's slower and like with the satellite dish and stuff like that. Like, I, I just don't I just don't love it. But I like look and it's also got that little like CGI thing like with him, like getting in the airplane and stuff. I don't like that. That like makes me like a little bit cringy. Those are actually little tiny miniature models, by the way. <laughs> Oh, really? They Jurassic Park. Yeah, yeah they Jurassic yeah. Park. Yeah, like they didn't, th- those are, uh, that's pre-CGI still. So, uh, oh, and you can, interesting. Okay. And you can hear all about that on our episode that Brian and I did on Goldeneye. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Well, no, I just, I guess that that's kind of where it is. But I have to say that Fonsie Jansen is probably one of my favorite henchmen. She's great. Oh, just yeah. like kind of the, the orgasm killing, like <laughs> phenomenal. Like the, oh, it's the, hot. It's exactly it it's what hot. you need. I mean, if you gotta go, I mean, it's a good way to go. I'm just, <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying. Exactly. And like, <laughs> I'll you let know, her break. Like, all those guys down with the like machine gun in the satellite sort of control center. She's just like getting off. It's kind of great. I love that. Toby, you're gonna be uh, picking it up a little bit for us. You're at number eight on this one. I think the reason this movie works is because uh, of Sean Bean and Sean Bean's character. He he plays it deliciously. Oh, yeah even though you know he's going to be the villain from the first moment he's bathed in shadow. <laughs> um, but aside from that failure of a twist, oh, um, no, he, no. He, he, represents, he represents the shift of James Bond, you know, from being a Cold War spy to what, what actually is he after that, being a Cossack and this idea of having nothing left to fight for. And at the end, you know, Brosnan, Brosnan's Bond is like, I fight for myself. And I feel like he does that across all his movies. He's, a, he's the most smug of all the Bonds. Yes. And he just seems to be there to get laid and kill as many people as he possibly can and, and cause property damage. Um, <laughs> that he does. I think this film is a very good, in the same way Casino Royale is a good um, origin story for Craig Bond. Uh, Golden Eyes is a great origin story for, uh, for uh, Brosnan. Uh, I, I, I a bit slow in bits, but otherwise brilliant. I, I love Brosnan's swagger in the same way that uh, Toby said that Craig is a pretty man. I think that Brosnan is a very handsome individual. And when you talk about smooth criminal with Bond, like Brosnan's the one that I always look at. And I'm like, how do you not get everything you want it, wherever you go? Like it just, it it is, it's one of those things that always shocks me, especially going back and watching Goldeneye, you know, 20, 30 years later, it's one is like, Oh gosh, you're good. Like, (laughs) so no, I hear, I I hear you on that, but it's just one of those, like, Oh, this guy, Chad, tell us about Goldeneye. You alluded to it, but I think this is the absolute best use of the bond theme and, 
the entire franchise. The tank scene in St. Petersburg, when that music kicks in, I mean, just every single time, it just amps me up. Talked about Xena. Love film K. Jensen in this role. The gadgets are on point. Uh, everything in this movie works. I and mean, this is this was a very early one for me. I think I saw it on a school trip on a bus coming back. Actually, Brian introduced me to my first Bonds, and they were uh, Connery Bonds that we saw on a trip to D.C. But this was a very early one for me. The game, obviously... I do what I can. <laughs> yes, thank you for that. The game obviously holds a a great uh, set of memories for me, killing my friends with the golden gun, banning Odd Job, and slappers only. That's all I've got to say. Witch, 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 So our number one movie is Goldfinger. And Chad, you have this at your number one movie. Yeah. If you were going down a checklist of everything that you could possibly want in a Bond, great henchmen, we've got Odd Job, great gadgets, great death scenes, or we have Joe Masterson, my goodness, the gold death scene is just iconic, or Goldfinger as the villain, the whole torture scene of no Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. Ridiculous Bond girl names with pussy galore. I don't know if we need to censor that or not. That's her name. Uh, they got the name through because they told the American censor they were big supporters of the Republican Party. Take that as you will. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is just perfection. This is the movie of... If I have one Bond movie that I have to show someone as an introduction, this is it. It's an iconic one for sure. Now, Jake, this isn't very low, but you're the low man on the totem pole again uh, here at number eight. Sounds like you still like it a lot, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think it's only eight because I'm, I don't really like love Sean Connery, I guess, and that's just because I was a Roger Moore guy. But look, this the, I would like echo everything um, that was already said. The, I do like, actually, the pace of the story. I like the villains. I like, it, it, it's great. And, and like, I'm going to just say it. The thing that brings it up a lot of notches is that grandma security guard with the machine gun. With this, like, <laughs> that, that is like one of my favorite Bonds. Like if I have to like look up a Bond clip, besides the beginning of Quantum of Solace or World is Not Enough, I love that. Because it's just, it's, it's crazy. It's just like, yeah, I, I don't know. I love it. Now, Toby, you, we we've established that you you like the brutal the brutality here. Is a laser pointed up at uh, at Sean Connery's balls enough to do it for you at number six here? Uh, absolutely. I, I, that scene is one of those ones that it's been parodied so often. You've seen it so often that every time you watch the film, you think it's just going to pass you by. But every time, like Sean Connery's performance, you can see him sweating. It looks like they actually put a ferret up his trousers or something. Because <laughs> um, he, he, he looks genuinely perturbed. Um, he's on his probably his best performance in the whole franchise. The way that he's completely in over his head and out of his depth. And he has like no hand to play. And yet he's cool. And, you know, he, he manages to think his way out of the situation. It's got Odd Job, who's probably the best henchman in the entire franchise. Uh, I love Goldfinger. Um, even they make golf fun to watch, and I think that is, you know, a cinematic feat all of its own. <laughs> 
Fry, you have this at number three. I think it's a very, very good Bond movie. I know that's kind of a perfunctory thing to say at this point, but I mean, it's one of the ones that has the fewest leaks. Like, you can just say Goldfinger. I mean, this. I mean, it, it's it's solid. It's one of the best. And I would, I would echo a lot of the things that you guys are saying and just say, this is the one that establishes the template. This is where we really get that going to M's office. This is where Q and the gadgetry comes into play. The car is a mind blower for anybody at this point in time. It sets the standard for what the car is. It sets the standard for what the Bond girls will go on to become. I mean, yes, Ursula Andress was to some degree, but I mean, just the nature of how James Bond is falling into all this is is amazing. And it's actually interesting. Uh, You know, there's some amazing mountain scenes in this, but Miami and Kentucky aren't necessarily the most exotic locations in the whole world. And it's kind of funny where Bond goes often dictates how much I enjoy the movie, but somehow this transcends the setting to me. And it's, it's all of those, it's all of that ruminating and coming together. This is what establishes what Bond will be for the next, all the way up until Daniel Craig's era, pretty much. Closing thoughts. Jake, why don't you tell us all of this that we covered, closing thoughts. I have to say that probably I've learned a lot about myself and my opinions with Bond because, <laughs> like, you know, having watched so, like every Saturday morning when I was a kid, renting one from a, a Rick's video in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, I, 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 I think that it's probably the espionage versus action movie that sort of delineates me. And I'm more towards the action and, and sort of the, the, that, that, the kitsch of it. So that's kind of interesting to kind of realize that after so many years. Yeah. And Toby, closing thoughts from you. I think we've established that I like a bit of uh, cock and ball torture. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, but um, honestly, well, uh, thanks for having me. And um, it's, I think what I've learned from this is that either, even though, you know, there are some Bond films we don't like as much as the others, obviously. There are 25, and we all have probably seen each of them at least, you know, three times, which indicates that no matter how bad they are, if a, if a movie's got James Bond in it, we'll watch it. And that's a great thing. It is. Fry. I think that Bond is one of those things that intros you into a phenomenal world that doesn't really exist in its truest sense. And Chad, what about you? Yeah, it's the perfect escapism for me. Every time I hear that theme song, I'm just transported back to the first time I'm watching this with Fry or the school bus when I'm watching some of these movies with you know friends I still have today. So it always holds special memories for me of, you know, it's something I've been able to share with friends and you know extend out to family so bond i i hope we keep doing this it doesn't matter who they cast but uh you know keep these going yep it's to me it's the perfect time capsule it's like the things that reflects popular culture popular media movie making the industry everything at the time and uh, music everything is encapsulated in these and uh, it's really so cool that it has evolved and continued to grow from 1962 on. And I wish Ian Fleming could have lived longer to see what it became and how it kept evolving. 
And I'm really excited as we're about to go into See No Time to Die. And uh, it will be Daniel Craig's swan song. And I'm particularly excited to see what that means. It's like when the doctor regenerates on Doctor Who, the, the show is about to change and the voice changes with each actor. So I'm really excited to see where it goes next. Thank you so much, Toby and Jake. Thank you, guys. And thank you all the lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. We we invite you to reach out to us. So subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. And give us a like on Facebook. Follow us at, at movie underscore retro on Twitter. Email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. And producing and providing this podcast is fun but not free. So we invite you to support the show at our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash retromovieroundtable. Any contribution is much appreciated and will go towards making the show better. And as always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Brian? Writing about magic is harder than writing about spies because you're dealing with something that doesn't really exist. <laughs>